Comic Book Club News gives you the comic book news you need to know first thing in the morning every weekday in the form of digestible three to five minute long podcasts. Comic Book Club News recaps breaking news stories from Marvel, DC Comics, and beyond Monday through Friday. New episodes drop 6 a.m. ET in the Comic Book Club News feed so they're ready for you when you're ready for the day. Comic Book Club News. You hear it second or third, possibly fourth. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. What is up, everybody? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about every single comic book that comes Jesus out this week. Jesus guy! <laughs> and every good. single comic book no, that's coming oh out for God. the foreseeable future. Yeah, That's like, the goal of this podcast. We okay? can't even... What sucks is you put it... And then you say, we can't talk about it because it's not coming out for a couple weeks. What is the fuck? Uh, that's great. That's a little preview. I feel like I, the, when I finished the last book, I realized I was inside the comics looking <laughs> out. That's how many we read. Here's what we're talking about. We're going to be reviewing 49 comics this week, which is, I want to emphasize, not 50. 50 would be a lot of comic oh books. That's too just, many. That's just too many. 49. That's it. Yeah. That's what we're going to max out out here. We're going to be talking about comic books that came out this week from DC, from Marvel, from other publishers. We're also going to be talking about some advanced comic books that we're, I'm very excited uh, about. So I don't know excited about the for these. Yes. But why don't we start off with one that did come out today, Captain Marvel number 1, written by Alyssa Wong, art by Jan Bazaldua. This is a new take on Captain Marvel, and here's something that I appreciate from Marvel Comics. The publisher is... They tricked us a little bit in terms of what this book is. The way that they sold it is as Captain Marvel. is She's the leader of the Avengers. Now she is the protector of Earth. She's not going to go into space. She's not going to be doing the other things that she's been doing here. She's the first line of defense against the Earth. Big spoiler here. And we're going to be getting into spoilers, I think, for pretty much all of these books, just so everybody knows. But that's not what happens. Instead, there is a new character, a thief, who steals the Nega bands from Genesvale, I think the character is, and gets bonded to Carol Danvers' Captain Marvel in the same way the original Captain Marvel got bonded, and now they have to share the same body and switch back and forth. And coincidentally, how maybe Captain Marvel is being treated in the movies. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, it's similar to, and I was like, hey, Marvel, how about this? You're doing something that's similar to the movie that's going to be coming out. 
what a crazy you coincidence. Like what's happening in the comic? Maybe you'll like what's happening in the movie. Can what I a crazy tell you guys honestly? I one hundred percent did not pick up on that because I was like, oh, they were doing the original continuity of Captain Marvel in the end. Oh my god! Wow, Alex, you're in too deep. <laughs> I am. See, that's what you're further in the comics than I am. Yeah, you're because. When I read this, and they do actually a great job of it. I feel like they're like... Yeah, I enjoyed it. If anyone's coming to see the Marvels in a couple weeks, coming to a theater near you, um, the next great swing from uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, batting average, TBD. (laughs) (laughs) But if you're a first-time viewer of Captain Marvel, and then you pick up this comic, and be like, yes, she switches places with people. That's her thing. That's her deal. And I actually... And they don't use the same characters because they can't in the continuity. Those um, uh, Ms. Marvel and um, uh, what's up? Monica Rambeau. Monica Rambeau. Photon, yes. I was going to say Proteus, but that's incorrect. Uh, Photon aren't in the same place, so it doesn't make sense to use them. They bring in this new character. It's very fun. I like that they have that pattern set. The art is cool. This feels like a great comic to hand to someone and be like, hey, do you like – if you like what's happening in the MCU – Give this a shot. You're going to like comics. Hey, do you like Steel and Bracelets? Because you might like this comic. From the Eras Tour. If you're a Taylor Swift bracelet (laughs) thief, you're going to love this comic. This is the perfect book for any Swifty in your life. That's Mm. my poll quote for this one. The... I agree with you guys. My stupidity in not picking up on that aside, this is a very fun introduction. I was actually kind of reticent with the idea of... Oh, she's going to fight aliens on Earth. Okay, here we go with another Captain Marvel number one. But there is what I want from a number one, which is a clear concept right out of the gate. We get a new character who is in, instantly enjoyable to watch and the opposite yeah. from Captain Marvel. I really enjoyed this book. I, and, like, yeah. Go ahead. I was just going to say one more thing. Like, and it's still rooted in Marvel Comics continuity, the mm-hmm. the Genus Vale stuff, and like uh, introducing new characters at the same time. Like that that keeps it fresh for anybody who's just a diehard Captain Marvel reader at the same time. And I just want to say real quick, the art is also a nice combination of your classic comic book art and something that feels a little bit more like. Um, uh, manga influenced. So. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. The art style is really kind of sharp and cool looking. It's got a kind of a young feel to it, which is great uh, for all the action and all the stuff that's going around. The old switching, you know what I mean? Switching. Uh, yeah, the old ruin. That's going to be a theme that Marvel's going to continue uh, into the movies. Um, yeah, so I, I think this is a great first issue. It does a great job of like setting things up, getting you excited for more, and just kind of giving you that uh, kind of uh, tune in next time vibe. So, yeah, I really appreciate it. Let's I wish I it. could just bang my braces together and switch places with you guys. <laughs> oh, that would be so That would nice. be so sweet. Uh, if I could be in your house. So cool. That would Alan be cool. Scott, the Green Lantern, number one from DC Comics, written by <laughs> Tim Sheridan, art by Cian Torme. The big deal with this issue is, I, I don't know if it's recently, I think at this point it's like a year or two out, but it was revealed that Alan Scott is gay. It's something that he came around to after a really long time. But now that he is canonically gay in the DC universe, they're leaning into it with this new series, showing us a secret illicit relationship that he had with somebody back when he was in the Navy and then how that has repercussions for the present day. So 
kind of a big deal in terms of Alan Scott out Green Lantern and actually dealing with that. He is one of the original heroes here. Um, I thought they treated this really well, uh, you know, not to keep talking about trepidations and stuff, but I'm always very trepidatious about issue-driven comics like this just because back in the day they were treated so badly. But here they do it with the right level of nuance and it is very consistent with how well DC has pushed LGBTQ plus characters throughout the past couple of years. It's very laudable what they're doing and I really appreciate it. Especially like the the worry level goes up when it's like, we're sort of setting this in the past when the and issues were mm. issues like this uh, being um, closeted was like a much scarier thing. So like, the fact that I think they really nailed it here. I really loved the love story of this and then the way that they sort of wove that into the the superhero side and the sort of the supernatural stuff was really, really well done, I thought. The art was really nice. Great, like, uh, Bibbo character in here <laughs> who's like, so what, who cares? You spent a day with Dr. Helmet, the ghost guy, and Zippy the fastball, or what have you. <laughs> That's a direct quote from, um, I think his name is... Uh, Brooklyn, New York City is his home. <laughs> so that's a fun character too. Brooklyn, forget about it, city. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think you know the the art does this great job of kind of giving you this old timey feel, but still very kind of current and cool. I uh, yeah, I you know it's kind of a heartbreaking tale. You the way you set it up, uh, I, I felt was like, oh god, what's going to happen? You're so worried. Uh, for this character once you kind of uh, uh, learn because you're like, oh, this wasn't a cool time and I'm really now worried for you. So the the kind of tension and all that is really there. Um, but yeah, uh, handling it well, uh, DC does a great job with this stuff, so I'm glad they're still uh, still doing it. Uh, yeah, yeah, just Tim Sheridan, so, uh, I, I haven't read a lot of stuff from Tim, but like the way this is dramatically handled, I thought was just really pointed and smart. There's this great sort of revelation moment that Alan Scott has that is like just un. I don't see it a lot in comics, such a like pointed, heartbreaking single panel like this was. And two other things that I want to point out that are tied together. One, this is also there's exciting, fun action in this book. I don't want anybody yeah. to think that it's just like issue-driven, serious, emotional, gay issues, which it is. But at the same time, uh, Alan Scott pre-powers, I think, kind of like yeah. hangs on the side of a boat and sort of scales up it. It's very cool, like a very cool action sequence, well, really well staged by C.N. Tormey. And overall, there's also a good superhero mystery going on at the same time. So it's balancing a lot of stuff, and it all comes together in a very nice way. So if you're a fan of Alan Scott, if you're a fan of the JSA characters, I think this is one to check out. Next up, big issue, Universal Monsters Dracula. Big issue. Big issue. Big issue alert. Big issue alert. Whap, whap. We do that on every issue because every issue is a big issue to me. Oh, I yeah. I say, the every last comic that's issue. ever been made. Which is, Univ- coincidentally, we're, that's what we're reviewing this <laughs> week's stat. Every issue that's ever been made. Universal Monsters Dracula. Are, we're only three in. We're not even three in. Universal Monsters Dracula, number one from Image Comics, written by James Todd the fourth, art by Martin Simmons. JT4. 
This is coming from the team behind Department of Truth and is the kickoff of a new line oh. from Image Comics and Skybound that is going to focus specifically on the Universal Monster movies, kicking off with Dracula, of course. But this is a new tale that isn't exactly in the novel, isn't exactly in the movie. It's telling it between the lines here, so to speak. And uh, I mean, what more do you expect? This is a perfect team to tackle this book. Yeah. I think the real standout here, nothing against JT4, but the real standout here in my mind is Martin Simmons' art because the way that he draws – Renfield in particular is just like this white pale wash of a person. The way Dracula keeps getting wider as the story goes on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Dracula is this panel and page filling black and red, just demon. It's a gorgeous book to look at. I feel like JT4 really leaves space for Martin Simmons' art throughout. Like, it's clearly written for him. And I got to say, the Universal Monsters have just been not doing so hot in our media. Whether it's film or TV, they just haven't found a way to make these work. And I think it makes total sense. They should have done this, you know – a decade ago when they were trying to make that into Universal's big IP franchise, start with the comics, build up some good stories, find what works from a a viewership point of view, a fan point of view, and take that to the feature world and make that the story. And I think this is very much, it's scary, it's cool, it eases you into it without being like, look, another vampire, crazy. And it's just really smart. Yeah, I mean, I do think this is a little bit of a slow burn, but I I do want to go back to the art style a little bit. Like the, the it's really bold and different looking. It's almost like these thick, bold lines that kind of uh, really bleed on the page in a very interesting, unique way. And we kind of start. We don't start with Dracula. We kind of start with Renfield here a little bit. So yeah, I think it's just. Such a great job of building up to what's coming in such a cool kind of old school horror kind of way. So, yeah, I think this is just a hell of a first issue, a great start for more. And I'm very excited about it. Renfield, fresh off the movie Renfield, which obviously we also love. So, my God. Yes. Oh, people go still going crazy for it. Just see huge people throwing money at it. Oh, my God. I was out in New York City and I saw a bunch of Renfield fans going wild in the streets. And I don't know how to follow that up. Why don't we move on? With- <laughs> <laughs> Maybe wow. they were just actual vampires you saw, uh, Alex. Wow. No, they were just people you're eating a, bugs. They were just you're a great bugs. storyteller, Selvin. Thank I just you want so you much. Know that. Yeah. I have regularly participated in the moth and won. Right? <laughs> that's, that's not true. It's not wow. true. I'm the one on the Alex, podcast. Alex, in, in Pete's lane. Wow. Yeah. For anybody listening, by the way, Pete is a well-recognized moth storyteller, for real. Yeah. So there you go. He's... Oh, I thought he was just a, a moth in the way that he's always attracted to light and just running into it over <laughs> and over I thought he was again. a moth in the way that he's always eating my fucking sweaters. I am. <laughs> Don't leave your light on, and I won't. But, uh, yeah, Great if point. you do, if you want to have some YouTube fun, if you type me into the old YouTube, so there's some of my moth storytellers <laughs> tales up there. Yeah. Marvel Zombies, Black, White, and Blood, number one Wah! from Marvel, written by Garth Ennis. Alex Segura and Ashley Allen, art by Rachel Stott, Javi Fernandez, and Justin Mason. 
Yeah. For the title, there's another collection that goes in black, white, and red. And they're aiming for the blood. They're aiming for the violence. And here we're getting three stories that take place in... Not a, I don't know if it's exactly the world of Marvel zombies because no. I don't know how consistent it is. Standalone. I think yeah, standalone. But it's kind of like the idea of Marvel zombies. So the first one's about Daredevil with a surprise guest that you could probably mm. guess from Garth Ennis. The second one's about Spider-Man. Uh, and the third one, I'm legitimately forgetting what it is. Oh, Moon Knight. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. That's what it was. Yeah. Uh, what'd you guys think about this one? Well, I just want to say I was like, oh, man, Gar- I saw Garland's name and I was like, well, you don't think maybe maybe we'll get a little Punisher. And oh, just the perfect use of the Punisher here. Just uh, so great. Such a great well, story. Oh, hold on. Let me it's just just to highlight that. Alone for just, the Punisher. Just to highlight. And this is a spoiler for money. the issue. But the Pete saying the perfect use of Punisher, he shows up and says to Daredevil, a zombified Daredevil, hey, bro, can I slide a bomb in you? And yeah. then blows it up. That's literally all he does. And no. you're like, that's, that's no, he does yes. A, he gives him a choice. He's like, hey, listen, you piece of shit. Do would you rather uh, I blow you up now or you want to take out? Can some we can we talk me? about it, though? Because I think there's a really interesting, very specific artistic choice that I see yeah. that partially comes from the script where – Punisher is this negative space. Like he's just he's a there, white, but he's not. Yeah, you know right. what I mean? And I think the idea is, is he a Marvel zombie? Is he not a Marvel zombie? We don't know. What did you take away from what? that? I think or he can't be a it, zombie. Is it like the Punisher just kind of lives in all of us and we don't need to see him? You know what I mean? Like he's just always kind of there in the Marvel universe. Every night when I go strength. to sleep, I pray that's not true. That's the thing I say right before I go to sleep. Um, I mean, that's the thing is I, I really enjoyed reading this. I liked all three stories. Yep. I like this world. I would love to see this just be an ongoing anthology series. I rat not continuity. I don't need a Marvel zombie continuity because I want to see everybody re-zombified over and over again. Let's keep it going. The only thing is the rules are a little dicey because the Marvel zombie, I guess the zombie rule is you sort of do retain some of your personality. Mm-hmm. You can come out of it briefly at points and, and make, clarity. make a choice, which is interesting Especially from a zombie perspective, because what other zombie universe has that? Well, if you're a real zombie head, what you know is after you eat fresh brains, there is like a 30 to, you know, minute and a half uh, time period where you do feel like a normal human again. Like once you've really kind of getting into yeah. the fresh, but then you're and back I, into craving brains again. So it's like you're so that chasing that. You're chasing that the whole time. You know what I mean? That's the same way you are with a, a meatball stuff from Subway. If I yeah, remember exactly before, right. that's every correct, yeah. live comic book club, you had a meatball. <laughs> Pulse yeah. up from Subway, and that was the only yeah. way you were able to actually speak full sentences. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I did really like this first story. I thought this was very uh, well written and well drawn. I also really like the story from Alex Segura and Javi Fernandez. I thought that was a very good, dark Spider-Man zombie story. So I thought that was yeah. very cool as well. So and I like the this. Alex, the Alex Segura story is such a like. Uh, a big story, a big Spider-Man moment. So I definitely like really agree. Could feel the sort of heat coming off that one. And the Moon Knight one, I was a little was a little sort of like jumping hey, around in different hey. ways. Take it easy with the. I love the uh, the creepy Moon Knight story. I thought it was really great. So I'm not going to sit here and let you. Yeah, I guess I'll change my smirch. opinion. I guess I'll change my opinion to what Pete's yelling. 
Yeah, great. Thank you. <laughs> Let's move on, talk about Wonder Woman number two from DC Comics, written by Tom King and Josie Campbell, art by Daniel Samperi and Vasco Georgiev. Just a little note, we're going to talk Bosco. about it later in the stack, but read this before Amazon's attack. Yes. Not Oops. the other order, because Oopsies. the second story is a prelude for Amazon's attack. Amazons have been false flagged, essentially, as far as we know. They have been banned from the United States. Sergeant Steele is going after them. Steve Trevor has been forced to go after Wonder Woman as well. And in this issue, Wonder Woman basically goes against an entire battalion of the U.S. Army and shows her stuff. Spoiler, it doesn't turn out well for the U.S. Army. And in the backup story, as mentioned, we're getting this prelude for Amazon's attack and showing why things are getting even worse for the Amazons. Um, what do you guys think? Well, first off, we want I want to talk about just such a badass cover. Like, I love the kind of perspective. You get the close-up on the bracelets, you know, and you can uh, close-up on yeah. her face. It's just such a cool uh, uh, moment in time that is captured so well on the cover. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, uh, I like the kind of, Cutting between, and I think it was uh, very kind of interesting uh, the way it was kind of uh, uh, using the people kind of like standing throughout time in a kind of unique kind of perspective way. So I thought that was great. And I'm always a sucker when you're throwing tanks around like they're little toys. God, I love that. Never yeah. get tired of that. It's always fun. So when yeah, I throw it was a really tank, ba- badass. When I throw a tank top, I feel the same way that I think Wonder Woman does in this issue. And what a great treat to be able to bang our braces together and trade places with her. Oh, man. If only. I Just what Pete is talking about is that we get a flashback to young Diana is fighting in a stadium against somebody. The big spoiler is it's revealed that it is the woman who killed a bunch of people in a bar in the first issue. Yeah. That didn't feel like a big revelation to me, to be honest. Like, I mean, you, I, you weren't surprised or it just doesn't? No, I, it didn't, like, I don't know. I felt like I was supposed to be nah. like this oh shit moment of, oh my gosh, she was fighting her back in the day. But I kind of assume all the Amazons know each other anyway. So That's it racist. didn't. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, they live on a small island. So yeah, they like, live on a small island. Diana is the princess, so I feel like she knows pretty much everybody. Yeah. Beautifully drawn issue. Yes. Um, I like the danger that the Amazons are put in. I wanted a bigger move here, to be honest. Yeah. Well, I mean, I agree easy. with you. you know, it's just well, issue two, right? So take it easy. Yeah, it's the second We're issue. Building. Of, We're building. We're building. Well, it's the same way that, like, everyone on the island on Castaway knows each other. Like Tom Hanks, mm-hmm. Wilson. So Tom oh, King is a very Tom calculated Hanks. Tom King is a very calculated writer. Like, you could feel him pacing through things very specifically as it goes, what is going on behind you, Justin? Yeah. There's a ghost. Uh, She's it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Please tell the ghost I'm trying to make a point about Wonder Woman. Uh, Tom King is a very calculated, Noticed. paced out writer, and you could feel that in this issue. The battle scene with the U.S. Army is badass. The relationship with Wonder Woman and Steve Trevor is great. But this, to me, feels like the sort of thing you would read in the middle of a Wonder Woman, a celebration of 80 years collection versus Wonder Woman 2, where I want to get to this very dangerous plot and push the plot forward. 
Well, and I agree with you. It's getting there. Take it easy. I agree with you in that this story does feel like it's sort of a a harder nut to crack. The idea that it's like Wonder Woman versus America. And then, and like, what does that take mean for the DC universe for a larger understanding of like militarism in our world and in our culture? So like, it's some big themes here and it's hard to tell exactly what the take is, especially as we're getting into the Amazon attack stuff, which does feel a little bit more like let's all fight. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know, there's like big ideas and then there's just like a bunch of fights probably going to happen. So it feels like there's an edge to all of this. Yeah. Yeah, But uh, also if she does really attack America, just, you know, go to the dairy queen, you know, she loves ice cream. So you'll be safe there. I can't even parse that. Why don't we move on to an advanced review? Crave number one. This is out November 29th from Image Comics by Maria Lovett. The concept of this book, Maria Lovett, uh, is love it. Love it. Is that there is an app called Crave that is released on a college campus. Crave lets you know how well your desires would be received. So if you, for example, have a crush, you can be like, hey, Crave, will this crush be reciprocated? And this Crave app will let you know. Or you could have more deviant desires potentially lead into that. We're following one student who seems reticent to explore desires, but there is another student on campus he is very interested in. Um, Justin, I know you were really digging this one. What did you think? I, I thought this was great. And I obviously it's not coming out yet, so I can't don't want to say can't too much. It. But just a fantastic premise that feels like almost at maybe this sounds crazy, but feels like almost close to reality. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's a crowdsourced like uh love interest app. And so that in general, I just was like, wow, this is really feels really prescient in a great way. And on top of that, it's just like beautiful art sexy moving into different things like i i just love this read from top to bottom yeah i i don't want to spoil it but it seems like a alex kind of uh comic you know what i mean so i'll let you alex you talk about it yeah not a pete not a pete sex thing no uh pete sex things are like really messed up so we don't want to get into that but too dark (laughs) we love it I do love her art. I really like the stuff that she did on Faithless. I was excited and interested to see what she was going to do striking out on her own as a writer. And I think this is extremely successful in the first issue. Like Justin was saying, we've got this app that feels like something that is a natural extension of like a hot or not. Um, It makes sense to set it on a college campus because, of course, that was where it was spread with wildfire. We have... This hint of kind of a sci-fi premise in terms of, oh, everybody suddenly found this app on their phone. How is this going to work? But it feels like this first issue is just the cusp of the iceberg in terms of how it's going to go horribly wrong with the sci-fi premise. So I kind of like that. Like I was expecting, I'm talking over the past couple of weeks about the image comics things about like, we present all the characters, then here's the idea on the last page. This presents the idea pretty much on the first page, explores it, sets up the characters, sets up the cast, sets up their emotional relationships to each other. And it's going to be very interesting to see 
how that most likely completely breaks apart over the course of four issues. So, and well, there's great dread. There's great dread created yeah. as well in just the, the this first yeah, issue. Yeah, you know already. it's going to go wrong. You know it's going to go horribly. And he, just a heads up, you know, don't read this on the subway or where there's people around. You, because can, you can read it in the sexy car. Yeah, you can also read it at Subway while you're eating a meatball sub. No, yeah. I, so then I, you can talk about I, it. I, don't read it in public. No, there's a couple places. There's a couple. Every subway has a booth where you can read some lightly pornographic comics. Yeah, I would also say this is. I was pleasantly surprised in a certain way. This is not as in your face as Faithless was. Yeah, like the Agreed. Brian Azzarello book. Give it a minute. I mean. No, I'm sure it's going to get way more raunchy, but like... I'm going to give it an hour. (laughs) (laughs) There we go. This is great. Definitely look forward to picking uh, this up in November 29th. Next up, Hollow's Eve, The Big Night, number one from Marvel, written by Erica Schultz, art by Michael Dowling. Now, Hollow's Eve is a character that is spun off of the dark web storyline. She has a bag full of masks, Halloween masks, where she can dress as monster characters. In this issue, due to a weird spell that happens at a college campus, her masks get kind of mucked up, and she's able to pull out an Avengers masks instead and become a Hollow's Eve version of Captain America, a Hollow's Eve version of Hulk. Um, I, I, I know I said this on the live show, but I can't believe how much I like this character. This character... It's great, and I think I would 100% chalk that up to Erica Schultz and the way that she's writing her, just yes. really digging into her psychology, finding fun ways of using these masks. This is great. Yeah, I think Erica and Mike are killing this. I really think that this is a, a great underused character that uh, is always such a pleasant surprise. I love her bit about you know getting taller with each character. <laughs> It's fun. You know, this is kind of exactly what I want out of a Marvel comic. There's high stakes, but they're still fun. And, you know, it's a good time. So, yeah, I think this does a great job of hitting all that. You get to kind of play in the Marvel sandbox in such a cool, unique way. Uh, Yeah, I'm very much enjoying this. The dark web stuff, the crossover was such a weird thing. And this book is just punching so far above its weight coming out of that event. Especially there's another book we're going to talk about in this stack that is maybe I'm like, I roll for this stuff. And uh, and Hallow's Eve is such a fun take on a character. And we get to really like ride with her in a way that is it's great. And the art really serves that. So very I, mean, fun. Little... I want to read this all year round, not just on this Every holiday, let's get a Valentine's Day special, St. Patrick's Day, Arbor Day. I mean, I was a little worried about how she handled things where, you know, like people turned into birds and then she just kind of like dropped those birds off at somebody, you know, and be like, hey, you know. What are you going to do with you got human birds? You got to put them somewhere. Well, I, I would like if you gave them to like uh, uh, someone who works on reversing spells, you know, stuff like that. You know what I mean? Where it's no. like, uh, if you're a bird, just go live in like a bird place, aviary. Hey, if you're a bird, I'm a bird. 
Amazon's <laughs> Attack, number one from DC Comics, written by Josie Campbell, art by Vasco Georgiev, as mentioned earlier. This is spinning off of Wonder Woman, and we are getting a team of all-star Amazons, including Nubia, and we're getting uh, Yara Flores, I believe is the name of the character, um, as well as, as a sp- surprise addition, though I guess not that surprised because she's on the cover and Josie Campbell wrote her before, but Mary Marvel is showing up here as well. Yeah. They're all fighting against this new status quo for the Amazons. I didn't know what to think about this going in, but I came out by the end absolutely loving this team up. These are characters really? that like, yeah, I'm okay with generally, but I love the idea that they're on their back legs fighting against the U.S. government. Other forces are fighting against them. It was such a pleasant surprise to see Mary Marvel in here. Uh, again, I didn't know anything about it going in, so I was just very happy to see her, and it works perfectly here. It's a great team. I'm very excited I, to I read agree. More. I really love this team up. I think this it does a great job as a first issue of getting you excited for what's happening. Uh, really longing for more. I just think this does such a great job, uh, and the art is super tight bananas. I was super. I, I felt like this was a great first issue. Yeah, it's a fun it's new status quo. I like that they're so uh, so backfooted. The Amazons here and are losing out to whatever this force is that is moving against them and trying to blame so much. I I feel like that they're. Themyscira is becoming the Wakanda of the DC universe where it's just been, it's been revealed. It's been sort of like forever. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, (laughs) Alex says no, Uh, but the, the way that it's um, the way that it's become this uh, place that is like a mystery that then everyone's suddenly like mad at Mm -hmm. uh, is, is an interesting place for it to be. And this is, you really put that on on the front page. So um, I, I liked all of this as well. Yeah. Uh, why don't we move on to another advanced one, The Deviant, number one. Mm, this is out November fun. 15th from Image Comics, written by James Tyne IV. Again, art by Joshua Hickson. Josh, J- Joshua, James Tide of the Fourth is getting back into horror here. And the idea of this book is that back in the day in the 1970s, there was a murderer who dressed as the creepiest Santa Claus you've ever seen. Oh, my who, God. It's so creepy. Mutilated a bunch of young boys. Stop spoiling all this. No, no, no. This is all in the blurb. It's okay. In the present day, there is a reporter who, well, not actually a reporter, but there is somebody who is coming to interview who is this deviant color um, because he kind of identifies with him in a certain way and ends up talking to him. And of course, I think you could probably figure this out, but the past does not stay into the past and it comes into the future. I thought this was the perfectly awful Christmas present from Oof. James Todd the fourth, a creepy, terrifying read in the mode of his, the closet book and Joshua Hickson's design for the main killer character is terrifying. It's yeah, yeah, it's a fucking nightmare. I mean, uh, you tell us not to spoil the thing, and then you just fucking give it all uh, away here. This but is yeah, all in the blurb. This is all in the blurb. Everything uh, that I said. Well, anyways, uh, I just think this is. Uh, I love the art style. I love the panels. The pace of it. It's so great. So creepy. It just does such a great job of. 
uh, raising the kind of crazy intensity to the story. Uh, it's it's fucking amazeballs. This is a really impressive uh, comic. You got to go get it. Um, yeah, it's a perfect kind of creepy Christmas uh, if that's what you're into. And uh, JT4 is killing it. I love a creepy Christmas. Uh, that's what I'm celebrating this year across the board. I agree. This uh, that the art really stands out from like going from the, your classic comic storytelling panels with a bunch of panels to like really stark wide panel stuff of like police cars careening through the snow. Like there's Don't just fly. a lot. Yeah, that's just a very light thing uh, describing an image. It's just a really great book. It is true horror. Uh, like we're saying, f- not just the Santa Claus design, but across the board, a lot of, a lot of tension. Definitely. I mean, you got a ways out to pick this up, but it's really yeah, worth a lot yeah, of tension. Yeah. The only other thing that I'll mention, just because I think James Stein has talked about this a little bit, is it's a very interesting exploration, not to put it on him, but a very interesting exploration, I think, of his own sexuality and him as a comic book writer, because he's again, he's talked about this. There's an interesting line they walk in terms of how we fetishize serial killers and the line between what is serial killing, what is LGBTQ+, what is going to activate that specific mode in your brain. So there's a lot of complicated concepts that he's dealing with here in here that I think are really fascinating to read and frankly responsibly written because there's so many ways that it could go wrong at absolutely any point. And of course, JD4, very smart writer, so he does not. And it's all emphasized by the way that Joshua Hickson does the art and draw these characters. So this is 100%. Put this on your must list. Go to the comic book shop, tell them to get it for you because this is going to be huge. Captain America number two from Marvel, written by J. Michael Skrzynski, art by Jesus Saiz. We are dealing with multiple timelines here, as in the past. Captain America, who is now 14 to 16 in this book, not quite Captain America yet, is dealing with a Nazi rally, the only way that you would expect Steve Rogers to do. Meanwhile, he is trying to find a place to live because he's been kicked out of his apartment. And the present timeline, he's trying to balance his responsibilities as a superhero with managing the building that he grew up in. And also, Uh, though he doesn't quite know about this yet, there's a villain in the background that is building up a huge force against him. Lots going on in this book. What did you guys think about this one? Well, I really was worried after the last one of how he was going to kind of like, you know, the big reveal was he was at a Nazi rally and what was going to happen. So I was really happy with how this was handled in this issue. That It could have gone really weird fast, so I, I thought it was really great and very uh, true to character. So I was really impressed with that and uh, kind of looking for uh, uh, how this is going to kind of move forward. But yeah, the art does a great job of feeling old-timey uh, for certain parts and then really kind of present for other times. So Great job of kind of like helping uh, the reader along the way with that. So, yeah, I think this continues to be really interesting, and I'm kind of uh, enticed and excited to see what's going to happen. It's sort of a different hang. 
J. Michael Straczynski is a, a comic book writer who's worked for decades in the industry. And this feels like different than so many other books. Mm-hmm. It feels like, you know, there's a lot going on. There's We're jumping between scenes almost in like like a movie where we don't know where everything connects. There's just a cut scene in the island base where someone reads a bit of bad code and then they um, jump off of a building. So, like, we're getting this stuff that isn't related now, but uh, we assume is going to come together down the line. And we get things like a bunch of um, urine poured out the windows and stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, there's just, like, some stuff like... The the pacing is a little different, and it just feels a little different than other comics. So that's a really good call because what uh, the urine just, part about the urine part? Absolutely, mm-hmm. great no, way to get revenge. One hundred percent. Just that this has a very different pacing from a lot of other comic books, and particularly mainstream comic books. I'm not quite sure what to make of it because it is biting off so much. I don't know if it's biting off more than it can chew necessarily because it is JMS who knows what he's doing when it comes to a comic book. You know, Well, if anything, it, it feels like JMS, whether it's true or not, plans on writing this for a long time. Yes. Like it, it, I feel like there's several – like there's short-term things that are happening. There's longer-term things and there's very long, long-term things I feel like in this. And still fun. You have this like Spider-Man scene that is like – Very good. There's some jokes and fun and classic – a new way of telling a Spider-Man isn't good at being a superhero uh, bit here, which is 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 fun. Action Comics 1058 from DC Comics, written by Philip Kennedy Johnson, Gene Lewin Yang, and Ooh-hoo. Greg Hahn. Art by Rafa Sandoval, Victor Bogdanovich, and Travis Mercer. So, as you can probably tell, we're getting three stories here. In the main story, Superman is fighting against Blue Earth, this organization that wants to take him and all aliens down. Then we're getting two backup stories here. One is of Keenan Kong, I want to say, the Superman yep. of China. And then there's another one that I'm forgetting what it was. But the big thing that I wanted to bring up here of is... Of course, this is the Bibbo, the Bibbo backup. Bibbo where... story, that's what it was, right? Bibbo takes the kids out for the day. Very cute, very fun. This is the first issue since we know that Philip Kennedy Johnson is leaving his run on Action Comics. It is going to be taken over by a rotating cadre of different writers and artists as a semi-anthology title. Um, So that uh, almost puts, like, in my mind, a ticking clock on it in a certain way. It makes every issue from PKJ a little more precious. Uh, What do you guys think? Well, especially this feels like very much we're still in the setup phase of the new threats that are coming, like Blue Earth, we just sort of heard rumblings of them, but last issue felt like the first big swing. And then this like a fight that is really tense and, you know, scary for Superman, I feel like. Something that I think is hard to do in any Superman story. So that's really cool. And then uh, just a fun twist at the end, which feels oh, like yeah. great visual stuff. Uh, the backups are, you know, Bibbo, I feel like, is a part of the Superman universe that... I always remember during Death of Superman, I feel like Bibbo was like almost our POV character for a lot of that, where we're just like sort of like, he's like, hey, I'm down here on the street. Superman. I love him. He's dead. Like, and now, uh, and we don't ever see him anymore. So it's just nice to catch up with him, I guess. 
Yeah, I I really thought, uh, you know, PKJ is absolutely killing this. I mean, holy last panel, Superman. That was really uh, some badass Literally. shit. Yeah. Literally that. Yeah, and uh, also they, you know, they had this, like, badass start with this giant fight. Then they had this kind of touching uh, uh, moment in time with the kids kind of thing. And then just... You know, smack you with a two by four crazy last panel. Uh, this is a total package. Art super type bananas. I think this is like peak DC right now with this. And, uh, you know, it's uh, sad that, uh, well, I shouldn't say it's sad. It'll be cool and interesting to see what's going to happen next. But uh, he's been taking some really big swings with Superman and it's been very interesting. And really excited to see like what this Blue Earth villain. It feels like very magic mm-hmm. focused, mm-hmm. which is really cool in opposition to a lot of the sort of big sci-fi stuff we've seen from from all the War World stuff that PKJ did. And I will say I really like the Keenan Kong story. I think Gene Lu and Yang does yes. a great job writing the character. This is a fun twist on how he relates to the rest of the Superman family. So really like that as a backup as well. Slow Burn, number one from Boom Studios, written by Ali Master, art by Perluigi Minotti. This is about two people who think do a heist gone wrong, essentially, and end up in the wrong place and take a couple of people hostage. We're jumping around a little bit in time as they do. The real standout to me of this issue was the art. I thought the layouts were really fascinating. As yeah, we really good layouts. Throughout time. I had a little bit of a hard time hanging on to the story, though, to be honest. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I mean, it's funny that they, you know, the title of this is Slower Burn, and it's literally like one panel, one image, you know, like that really has that slow start where you're like, okay, you know, gives us a letter per panel and that kind of six panel thing. So uh, really kind of taking this title seriously. Um, uh yeah, there's a shit ton of stuff going down, So, and it's getting kind of worse as the more we learn, so that's kind of crazy, but I think they do a great job of like pulling in the reader with this kind of very interesting and unique story, and I feel like it's definitely worth checking out. Yeah, I mean, it feels like we're going to jump around to different character perspectives here and get everyone's take. So I like that there are a lot of elements on the table, the confusion that maybe you're sensing Alex I think maybe that's a little bit the point and each new perspective of each new issue is going to fill those in for us Mm -hmm. Uh, but I do think there was enough here for me to be like oh this seems like a interesting story on a a heist or crime gone wrong petrol head number one this is out November 8th from image comics written by Rob Williams art by Raya Parr again another advanced issue but the stuff that is already out there about that is it takes place in a post-apocalypse we start off with a bunch of robots are driving cars they're racing cars things change and ultimately we got to follow this one robot who has been I don't know what the word is. Requisition is the right word. Who isn't allowed to drive anymore, has to team up with a couple of folks to potentially save the world. This is basically like Fast and the Furious meets Real Steel meets Mad Max. And I had a absolute blast reading this book. Wow. There it is. And Keith, your pick. 
Yeah, I I love this comic. I really love this comic. It uh, it has such a great art style and such interesting, unique uh, characters. It kind of uh, starts off in this like you're not allowed around here kind of way, and uh, it really just kind of grows the character. And uh, there's a lot of twists and turns. I just think this is such a kind of unique. Uh, a cool story about this kind of futuristic world that is kind of like part junkyard and uh, uh, everything's kind of gone bad. So, I, yeah, I think it's very cool and I cannot wait to read more. This is uh, definitely the top of my poll list and uh, you should definitely check it out. Yeah, it's like if Bender from Futurama got into uh, NASCAR. So, <laughs> Fuck you. It sounds like you didn't like it. Did you know? No, like I mean, it? I, I did like it. You guys have said a lot, but I was struck by like uh, Petrolhead feels like vaguely like Bender from Futurama. Yeah. Well, I, I definitely read this and I was like, this guy oh, it's has a, it's wasn't a, drinking. He wasn't like a belligerent drunk walking around. He was smoking. Yeah. He was smoking. It's a cigar chopping robot who drives big muscle cars. I read this and I was like, Pete is going to love this book. Of course. Sure, but that doesn't say Bender. Uh, Hey, that's my take, P. And I know this is basically your spirit animal, or perhaps a future reincarnation target. Yeah, so, yeah, like, you this just, is what I'm going to turn into. Yeah, this is great. Uploaded. I, I'm really looking forward to this. This seems like a high octane action book that I can't wait to read more of. Yeah, Next high up, diesel, high, high diesel. diesel, high diesel. Yeah, high diesel. Hello. <laughs> the Immortal Thor, number three from Marvel, written by Al Ewing, art by Martin Cacello. In this issue, Thor is being taunted and tested by Loki. Got to tell you, I love the first two issues of this. I got kind of lost in the third issue. Mm. I don't know how you guys feel about it. Well, I definitely felt very seen because that's how I wake up in the morning yelling Loki doesn't suck, Alex. Like, stop talking about it like that. So I felt Mm. very kind of seen when Thor woke up yelling Loki. Um, Yeah. uh, You think he's a fan? He's like a fan of the series? Is that what you're Yeah, yeah, I definitely I think so. Uh, I, I just I really love the art style. It has this cool kind of like old school artistic feel to it that I really love. Awesome last panel. Um, yeah, like very excited for the next issue. They do such a great job of kind of setting that up. I do agree with the Zelbatron a little bit where there was like a little bit of a dip in there in the, in the, in the middle somewhere. Uh, but it does a great job of slapping you in the face at the end and getting you excited. It did remind me of the Loki series a bit, the TV series in that it feels like Thor is dealing with a bunch of like ephemera where he's like the runes, this and that. And I'm like, you're having an all sleep and you're out of time and away from your life. Isn't that what you should be upset about rather than like, I love my brother and I got to crack this, his rune stick. It felt a little like, let's get to the emotional part of it rather than dealing with sort of this, these little bits and pieces on the front end. And then there's a twist uh, surprise next issue character reveal that I was like, Oh, okay. That seems different. It makes so much sense, but I don't, you don't see them together much. Yeah, we'll see what happens. Why don't we move on to Giant Robot Hellboy, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Mike Mignola, art by Duncan Fregato. This is, as they used to say back in the day, exactly as advertised on the tin. 
is yep. essentially yeah. what it is, where you're like, oh, giant robot Hellboy. I wonder what that's about. Well, Hellboy gets kidnapped and his brain gets put in a giant robot and then he has to fight giant monsters. Awesome. Great. Just fucking awesome. What a fun idea. And also I love the fact that like when Hellboy kind of gets released from his box as a giant robot, the sound effect that it makes is Krang. Just a shout out to Krang there the other oh, day. Shout Justin. out to Krang. Yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just think like if you're not excited by the title, don't buy this fucking book because it is uh, exactly what you're going to get. And just such a kind of cool idea with the premise. You're right. There's not a lot of, none of it makes a ton of like, ah, they, of course they must have Hellboy in the giant robot Hellboy. They don't explain why they're making a Hellboy. They don't explain why they need him. Cause they kidnap him. Well, he's a good fighter. Well, that's what they need. And he's, he's not famously good. so. You think he's oh, how no, he's dare fine. you, sir? He how punches, dare you? He punches he is famous with that for large, being a he great. He has one large fist. He is yeah, famous he's, for he's his fighting. Back. No, he's famous for like getting through, but he gets beat up all the time. Also, yeah, if you're making a giant, if you're making yeah. I checked the scorecard. He's fine. But just yeah. in the way, it's it's a real ground and pound situation. I just feel like, and if you're making a giant robot Hellboy, why do you have to make one fist big? Just for the looks? You got to make sure it matches? He's so got to be ready to fight. And he's used to, that's, that's his whole thing. But the whole that's point right. of his one, his one hand is uh, it's stone. So it hurts more when he right. punches you. But with a metal fist, it doesn't matter. Could you imagine going into a comic book shop and being like, hey, do you have any comic books about a character where they really delve into the character's psychology? And the person's like, yeah, you got to check out Giant Robot Hellboy. Yeah. Let's get into it. I don't think you heard what I said to you. (laughs) Yeah. This is fun, but it definitely isn't the most like, this makes sense issue. Who wants sense? Let's have fun. Fair yeah. enough. Paladin I, well, of Axes, number one from Image Comics, written by Jerry Dugan, art by David O'Sullivan. This is about a 70s style rocker or 80s style rocker who ends up in a very bad situation and ultimately has to work for gnomes. Say the, gnomes. A yeah. bunch of gnomes. I was going to say the fair folk, but it's gnomes. It's like straight up garden gnomes. And it is. Funny, as you might expect from Jerry Dugan, but also kind of serious in terms of what happens to him. But it feels all like a fable is the way that I'd put it. Um, But I liked it. What did you guys think? People think gnomes are cute, man, but there's a dark side to the gnome, you know, and I'm glad to see the Dugs is really kind of get into that here. Uh, yeah, I mean, this this story is insane. When you think you have a grasp on what's happening, then like the floor drops out from you and it gets even crazier. So I love all the twists and turns. It definitely keeps your attention. But yeah, it is a straight kind of uh, hell bound uh, uh, crazy train that you're on. Uh, it is fun. And I want more like comics like this that are just standalone stories that feel fun. This is uh, like in, I, I haven't heard this story before, this type of story and the use of gnomes, the focus on the gnomes. You don't get a lot. You're of, a sucker so. for gnomes. Well, and I think I could be wrong about this, but I think this came from Jerry Dukin's Substack, which really points to maybe mm. the freedom of that to create something that is a 
want to say 70 something page issue where it's just a one shot and it's telling one story. It doesn't feel confined to the 20 to 24 page dynamic of a comic book. I agree with you on that. I think more freedom, do more weird stories, let them, yeah. let them either work or not. And that's okay. Free the gnomes. Keep stories weird. Keep stories weird. Batman, Catwoman, the Gotham War, Red Hood number two from DC Come Comics. Out. Written by Matthew Rosenberg, art by Nicola Sizmezija. I'm just going to kick it over to Pete. Why did you like this book so much? Oh, my God. Shit is getting crazy. Oh, man. I love all the action that's going on. We have some amazing panels. The art is beyond super tight bananas. I mean, the shit is going down. I really love this kind of like Avenger, uh, Revenger and Red Hood, like kind of little moment that we get here. It's Ravager. Like, oh, Ravager. Sorry, I can't yeah. read my own uh, notes there. I got it. Uh, it spell corrected me and put Avenger. And I was like, oh, I know that's not it. That's uh, not her name. But then that like the Joker kind of comes to rescue in like the most evil fucked up Joker kind of way, which is really great. Uh, and like the most badass kind of joker moment where he's going in spoilers he's going up against uh you know uh, scarecrow and like injects the joker and he just fucking smiles at him like oh my god just so badass like this is just uh like such a kind of fucked up story but i'm loving all the kind of drama around it the picking sides the who's on who Catwoman kind of sticking her neck out for people. This is really insane and turned Gotham upside down in such a cool way. I'm having uh, uh, such a fucking great time with this. I, I agree with you. I really like the Ravager Red Hood stuff. And yeah. when Red Hood gets yeah. to be a character, I think that's really fun. But this this issue feels like such a like hang issue. Like it's not driving any story forward. It's just like, hey, remember all this stuff that's going on? Here's some. Here's this perspective on it. And and that, that it actually you need that uh, it, sometimes. And I like I, I'm not saying it reads well. It's just this event is such a strange event. And so like I actually In a great this, way. Uh, this issue I feel like is a good issue, but you have to know, you have to be reading every other issue in this to know what's happening. So you have to really be able to like put that all together, ride with all these characters to the point where it's not even saying like red hood really got screwed here or like, this is good. This is bad. It's just like literally almost showing events. It's like a be yeah. real. I, I it's like we're following be real's Red Hood, and, and I will say that frame this with: I love Matthew Rosenberg, great writer. Bergie. I think he's doing the best job he can here. This is a real bubber of an issue to me because I love the first issue. I thought, okay, what are we going to do? What story are we going to tell about Red Hood in the midst of this war? This is one hundred percent fill the blanks. This is like. We had a first issue where we gave a different story that takes place in a different part of this Gotham War. And then the second issue is just filling in what happened in Batman, filling in what happened in Catwoman, filling in what happened in Joker, the man who wouldn't who stopped laughing, and just giving us all these other pieces of information from other books because you got to get a count up to the present day. And I was bummed reading this the entire time. When I got to the end, I was even more bummed that we don't get another issue because I love this team. The art's great. Team's great. Writing team's great. is great. 
I want to see what they want to do on Red Hood instead of just here's the greatest hits. What the? This f- is like this is like hearing a three to five minute podcast about the Red Hood news as opposed to uh, uh-huh. they actually had an issue, <laughs> right? <laughs> Which is something We're I love. Trying to talk the about forty nine comics and had a showdown with Scarecrow and it was unbelievable. And you guys are like, who cares? I, I don't think we're saying who cares. It's, I think, I think when you're set, stepping up, you're getting and I'm not, great I, moments in the Gotham universe here, and you guys are acting like it's fucking not important. I'm not blaming. No, I think I think neither of us are blaming this team. I think we really like this team. It just feels like this team is worth having a bigger swing following Red they Hood will. rather than They're leading up to it. It's all no. Fucking, this is the last this issue. Is the end. Yeah, this is the last issue. That's not true. It, <laughs> 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 Pete, it's done. That's my problem with it. Is like if there was another issue after this, I'd be much more into this it. This isn't the end of the Gotham War. Yeah, but this is the end of this team working on Red Hood. This was the two issues, and they're done. Yeah, because there's there's a lot of potential here, and there's like fun things of like, didn't you um, lead make him lead a team where he had to use cor- work with corpses to kill people and stuff? But like, there's great references to other wider continuity. It's just they they weren't given a lot to do in this book. If this book is just sort of like an aggregator of the rest of the Gotham War, oh, this is such a badass issue. I, I love this. It's issue. great. It's a great issue. Except for those complaints we had. <laughs> I was going to say. The Amazing Spider-Man, number 36 from Marvel, written by Zeb Wells, art by Ed McGinnis. I think this was the issue you were hinting at earlier, I Justin. Was. As we finally loop back to everybody's favorite character, Rack Rap, the version of Peter Parker who exists in Limbo, who broke out of Limbo. He is fighting a bunch of demonic versions of the Sinister Six, so, of course, what do you do? Peter Parker and Luke Cage go to the Limbo Embassy and they chat with Madeline Pryor. That's, that's kind of the issue. Um, <laughs> the oh art, God. Ed McGinnis' art is dope. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. it's cool. And Rec Rap is an interesting... Perfect thing for Ed McGinnis to draw because it really is in his wheelhouse. He does a great job with, like, bulky monster-type mm-hmm characters you know like his run yes. on hulk and stuff like that is legendary it's sort of a hulky spider-man so that's right. fun yeah, and i agree fun. with you it, it's a perfectly tailored thing but truly what is going on in this flagship spider-man title like it is chaos well th- that's <laughs> what i'm so happy about with this issue is it's great because it, we just get a little breather of racket ralph here and it's just kind of like uh uh just kind of a fun all right, the, the Hulk's in charge of Spider-Man, and this is kind of just what we're dealing with. And we're not going to get into all the other crazy bullshit that is going around. But this, so, this like, is so crazy. Just I'd take rather, a little uh, Wreck-It Ralph moment. I'd rather we were dealing with some of that rather than just this stuff that feels like so chaotic. Like the, the last page reveal is the monster with a funny mask face who just says the word Parker. I was like, yeah. What? <laughs> what, is, what, is it, what is this? Is this meant? To, am I worried about this? This well, is a monster you just introduced that is not going to be a I main feel like character. Something had to have changed at some point because uh, I'm not going to like break down the whole continuity of how comic books are released or anything like that. But the blurb 
the synopsis for this issue is Spider-Man went dark. How is the rest of the world going to feel about that? Which I'm like, okay, that rolls right off of when he was injected with Norman Osborn's sins. How do people react to that now that he's back to normal? Sure, you can delve into that for Peter Parker. Also, the cover has him sort of like lightning crashing in the background and dark Spider-Man and whatever else. Cool. So all of that stuff rolls off emotionally of what happened previously. This is a weird fuck around that's going on, and I don't (laughs) know what's happening. The only part of this issue I liked, and this is only, this is not a good part of this issue. This is just me as a comic book fan reacting to something I enjoy, is Silvermane showing up again and just being head and being like, I'm coming back to the Magia, here's my body. And I was like, Great, that's a stupid character. Let's let's bring that back. I'm gonna have a I good time. Throw him on the pile. Yeah. I like the the kind of uh, Doctor Octavius, you know, Doc Ockball thing. That was kind of silly and fun. Yeah, Doc Ockball. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. This book has forgotten who Peter Parker is and seems to just be kind of moving on from there, which is a bummer. Well, or just like, what is the point of it? And like, mm-hmm. maybe it, we're just in a middle thing when we're going to come back to it, but it just feels like we're a little off the plot. I agree. Why don't we move on to something that is always on the plot? Ice Cream Man, number 37 there from Image go. Comics, written by W. Maxwell Prince, art by Martine Morazzo. This issue of this anthology horror series is focusing on a brother and sister who are trying to put away the effects of their brother who died by suicide recently. He was the creator of, I don't even know how to describe it, but like not Smurfs-like. That's not exactly what it is, but like, yeah, it's kind of Smurfs. What did you say? Mad balls? Is that what you said? Fuzzy fuzzballs. Fuzzy fuzzballs. Anyway, he created this world of adorable creatures and we're cutting between a scenario, a thing that never got released where he made a movie about them going to Vietnam uh, and the brother and sister fighting in his basement to the point that, and this is a spoiler for the end of the issue, where W. Maxwell Prince even underlines it being like, what was he even talking about there? Well, no way of finding out. See you later. And then shuts off the light, which is like this straight across the board challenge to be like, figure out what I'm talking about, asshole readers. Yeah. So what is he talking about? What's going on in this book? What's your takeaway? Well, first off, uh, you know, this continues to be just such a legendary run. Uh, You know, I, I love the free, the fringy bumps, amazing cover. I just think it's just like really funny. This kind of like take on Vietnam, but in this, like, uh, you know, cartoon Smurfs type of thing, which is such a fun juxtaposition. Uh, My favorite line is, I don't have religion, sir. And then the guy yells back, well, I suggest you find one. Like, just hysterical. The, The comedy in here mixed with this kind of, like, Huge subject matter is such a really bold and cool kind of choice. This this comic never lets you down. It's always something very interesting. It's always something that is dark but twisted and unique in such a cool way. Uh, I just I'm constantly impressed uh, by this comic and the places that it can take you. Uh, yeah, it's just so unique and cool. 
Yeah, it's always excellent. And there's always something underlying it. To answer your question, Alex, I feel like the point of the end of it where the the brother just turns off the light after we've seen all these like this like very lighthearted Care Bears-esque story about them dealing with like incredible pain, loss and deep, dark emotions. He's like, I don't get it. This is dumb. After he goes on and on about how like. You know, people who do this, they just they just do it. They just um, kill themselves. But like talking about the nature of of taking your own life. And I think the point is like the clues were there in this story. Like if he was bothering to read this, that's where he could have learned about what the emotions and deeper issues that their brother was having. Uh, and instead, he just sort of dismisses this thing that was clearly the vessel that he was pouring this in. This was my take on it. And it, it's it's heady, it's heavy. Uh, yeah. But so all that, like, great Ice Cream Man storytelling, as always. But then there's the comedic side of it of just these, like, Care Bear characters who are going through uh, horrifying situations. The I've never heard the pun Vietnam Nam. Mm-hmm. Uh, and very, like, funny, dark joke to put in here. Just, like, great. Just This book is always, always great. And I'll give a shout out to Martin Morazzo's design of these characters, yes. which perfectly straddle the line between adorable and horrifying at the same time. So that means that they work perfectly for an ice cream man issue. Also, you and, get kind of like a reason for ice cream man's purpose. Like he, that's what yeah. I was just going to say. There's like a very direct a reference. Yeah. Yeah. So like, I'm curious, fuzzy. it feels like, it feels like we're getting closer to some like overarching ice cream man story or reveal. With, yes. Uh, almost every issue of this book. Yeah. I don't think it's ever going to happen, but sounds good to me. Drive like hell. Number one from dark horse comics written by Rich Dueck art by Alex Cormack. This is about a petty thief who steals a car. turns out it's a demon or the devil's it's a fucked car. up car. It's, it's a fucked up car. Messed up car. And he ends up driving like hell to get away from a bunch of demons and cops that are chasing them, along with his dead girlfriend who is now reanimated by the car. This is I, I I love this. Like I know I called out Fast and Furious with Petrol Head, but again, this is like Fast and the Furious from Hell is essentially the pitch here. And I think it perfectly channels it. Very fun. Very fun last page in particular that made me want to read more. And the art feels very Vertigo-esque to me. Like it's Mm. sort of like these color washes. To call out another artist in the stack, Alex Cormack's art reminds me a little bit of Martin Simmons a bit as well. Perhaps not quite as exaggerated, but it has a little bit of a sense of that. So I like this book quite a bit. It's like if Bender from Futurama was like a car <laughs> from hell, you know uh, what I mean? Uh-huh. And there's a guy driving him, yeah, like We're a back, fry baby. type character. Yeah. yeah, there already is a car from hell. It's a Ghost Rider, you fucking assholes. It's uh, a motorcycle. Yeah. Ghost Often. Rider, the PBS show. Oh my god! There's, I, I'm not going to even do this with you. All right, yeah, awesome cover, just really badass. Love the kind of story, love the action adventure, but the art style is really the real hero here. And this is a hell of a first ish. See what I did there? Mm. Uh, yeah, this I is see fun. You're driving at. Hey! Uh, nice. Um, I would like to drive this to hell. Oh, huh? boy. Oh. Eh. 
Miss Marvel, the new mutant number three from Marvel, written by Aman Vellani and Saber Perzada, art by Carlos Gomez and Adam Gorham. Miss Marvel as trying to interact with this character she created called Dr. Surfer, who is a mashup of Dr. Strange and the Silver Surfer. The big spoiler is it turns out the reason she's seeing this is she has been infected by a nanobot type thing by Orcus who is going to use her to wipe out all the mutants, all of their brains, if she accepts her powers in this dream state. Bruno is outside trying to work with her and keep her safe. Meanwhile, Orcus is dealing with some stuff of their own. Um, This was... I still like this issue. I think this was my least favorite issue of the series so far. Really? Yeah, just because it was so insular. The rest of them... The first two have been spreading out, showing us a lot of the X-World. They seem to be bigger. Yeah. This one seemed to be getting a little smaller, was my impression. But sounds like, Justin, you felt differently. Yeah, I actually really like the focus, and I like the plot of that Orcus is trying to do. It really ramped up the danger, I felt like, where this they really have the X-Men sort of caught if they can just get Miss Marvel to um, accept this virus. Which I thought was really cool. I really like the way they resolve it and get out of it just by like working together and believing in each other in a nice way and uh, nice art. I was also I forgot that this the next issue is the final issue of this yeah. series. Uh, yeah, I I agree with uh, the JT says a little bit. I think this is really kind of crazy fun. I love the Wolverine with sausage claws. I also like the tripped out. Doctor Strange, Silver Surfer. So creatively, artistically, they're they're killing it, and uh, yeah, and I think it's just kind of weird enough where I'm not kind of like, oh, what is this? I'm having a good time with it. Detective Comics 1075 from DC Comics, written by Rab V and Dan Waters, art by Francesco Francavia and Aaron Campbell. Now we're specifically reading this because I've kept this out of the stack just to. Ch- Peace, not going to believe this, but to try to keep things limited for a little bit. What? But I know, but it was recommended very hard by, I think, Derek Mainhart in our Patreon Slack. So I figured it was worth checking out. So what did you guys think about this issue? Love the Francesco Francovia art. I feel like it really takes me back to other great detective runs in the past. Scott Snyder's great run from Mm -hmm. like... Uh, years and years ago now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. definitely dealing with a lot of Batman origin stuff. It feels like Ram V is like being like, well, I'm going to tell my real take on Batman here. And then we get the same uh, in the back half with Dan Waters sort of being like, I'm going to give my take on Batman's origin. So I'm surprised these two stories are paired together because they sort of are very close to each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I really did the... The, the front story, I'm I'm curious, coming in, not having read the previous issue, I was like, oh, this is interesting. These villains feel like they've got Batman. Mm-hmm. And you don't really come in that hard being like, oh, they've sort of got this all sewn up, uh, and Batman's about to take a major L. So that's mm-hmm. a fun surprise. I definitely want to find out where this next issue is going to go. Yeah, uh, first off, Amazeballs covers, just some really cool-ass shit going on there. Um yeah, just some kind of like scary, intense, sad issue going on here. I mean, uh, you know, spoilers, but Batman kind of falling at uh, Alfred's grave. I mean, that's some fucked up shit. But 
The art style is Are super... Are you crying? Is that why you paused? Y- yes, yeah. Okay. Uh, the art style R.I.P. is... R.I.P. to all butlers out there. Uh, the art is super spooky bananas, so it's uh, definitely worth it for that alone. And uh, shout out to Frank Frank on the art, uh, killing it. And you're dressing <laughs> up as super spooky bananas for Halloween, right? Oh, I should. Um, oh, that's fun. But no, no, I'm not. You could buy a bananas in pajamas costume and just make it super spooky. Sweet, dude. Put some blood on it or whatever. Captera. Uh, you, <laughs> yes. you just wearing that costume would be pretty spooky in general. Captera Volume 2, Universal Truths, number three from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Kagan McLeod. This very messed up version of Masters of the Universe continues as we get some big revelations about the main character and his journey home. I I love this book. This is the perfect thing for Chip Zdarsky. It feels like... I don't know. I I can't think of a good term, but like kind of a brainwash after the seriousness of his Batman run and how yeah. hard he's going or on. Or Daredevil. T- yeah, or Daredevil or all those other titles he's going hard on. This is not to put him in a box, but like this is the comedy that you want from Chip Sudarsky. But at the same time, he's laying in some really good emotional connections for these characters. So I'm having a lovely time reading this book. And Kagan McLeod's art, which I think I called out with the last issue, is this more comics geared version of Mad Magazine art that I'm really enjoying. Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to say too. Like it feels like really taking the piss out of uh, the He-Man universe while at the same time really delivering some emotional and poignant moments with these, um, you know, let me say nonsense characters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's a He-Man of nightmares, but in such a crazy fun way, uh, you know, we got these insane over the top fights, but uh, you know, the, the core of it is people used to be lovers and now aren't. So it's super sad. Uh, but yeah, super it's, sad it happens. Bananas. Super sad bananas. Yeah, uh, but man, uh, just kind of uh, <laughs> crazy enough to be enjoyable and not just kind of sad or depressing. And uh, yeah, the art style by the Kagers is uh, really impressive. Green Arrow, number five from DC Comics, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Sean Isaacs and Phil Hester and Andy Parks. Getting some big revelations here about what has been going on with Green Arrow, has been sucked through time and space and forbidden from seeing his family, we find out, big spoiler here, there is in fact a villain behind it. We don't know everything about the villain yet, but the old Green Arrow that we met the last issue, it's not Green Arrow at all. They mess up Mm -hmm. in a way that I thought plays on that classic trope of saying the wrong thing, but in a way that I, as a reader, didn't pick up on until it had already gone past. So much smarter way of doing that. Good twist here. Like, Mm -hmm. I thought that was nice. And when, because when Green Arrow first shot his older self with an arrow, I was like, well, bold choice. Yeah. That's you, dog. That's that's you. What are you, that's a risk. Uh, It's not like a looper situation, but it's like a reverse loop. Hmm. No. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that there's some real fun covers here. Some really cool, f- fun issues. I, I love the twists and turns. The motorcycle lizard universe is very cool. Uh, badass art style, really fun story. And uh, yeah, the the real oh shit moment when uh, you know you know we already spoiled it, but when uh, you know Green Arrow shoots himself in the eye, I was like, oh fuck. So. Well, and I love the in the back half of this story when we get the classic 
our team of Phil Hester and Andy Parks yeah. from the famous Kevin mm-hmm. Smith run, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's great to see them back on this story that, spoiler, does take us back to that time period. I thought it was really cool. Yeah, and real quick question. Did you guys play Motorcycle Lizard on the NES back in the day? Because I was obsessed with that game. That was so cool. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's two of my favorite things finally together, motorcycles and lizards. Two of my other favorite things that are finally together, Uncanny and Avengers, in Uncanny Avengers number three from Marvel, Oop. written by Jerry Dugan, hard by Emilio Leso. The uh, team has seemingly falling apart in the last issue, but in fact comes back together here as Captain America goes in front of the ruins of the X-Men's headquarters, makes a big speech and calls his whole team and is like, hey, guys, these guys are cool. I'm cool with them. You should be cool with them. Meanwhile, we're getting a big fight between Monet and Quicksilver and the Strucker twins, and we Ooh. don't seem to be any closer to the reveal of who Captain Krakoa is but lots of big stuff going down in this issue. Anyway, Justin, you seem pretty stoked. Um, we got Quicksilver and Monet having a little oh. kiss, guys. Oh. What? In times of trouble, there's always just a little love happening in the middle of a building grab blood bearing pillar holding up sesh. <laughs> We've all been there. Mm-hmm. And that was fun. I'm curious. He seems a little older than her, just in general. He just has gray hair. He has naturally silver hair. It doesn't mean he's old. Yeah. He he is old though, right? He is old. Yeah, like just, I, I take your point. And she's famously was like, I'm part of Generation X. And he is like, I'm much older than that. I'm one thousand years old. He's saying my dad was a uh, survivor of the Holocaust in World War II. (laughs) So I'm definitely old, I think is Mm -hmm. what he's basically saying here. So I don't know. That's interesting. I uh, not to say like I'm down on it because like I said, it's cool. It's fun. Captain America gave a great speech. Uh, I like the 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 tracking down the Struckers via perfume. I thought was a fun little detective moment. And what a fun end. Where we bring in a character that we've had a lot of cues about in relation to his relationship with the X-Men world. Well, I think that uh, this is a great issue. Deadpool is hilarious. Uh, enjoying him with Black Widow and then him yelling not to waste food was a lot of fun. And, and then great last panel. Uh, you know, we got a kind of fun reveal there. So, yeah, I think this was uh, a blast. How do you take that? How do you square that with Deadpool's famous wasting of chimichangas? How, oh, he doesn't waste them. He eats them. But there's a lot of wasted chimichangas in a lot of Deadpool books. Pete. Mm, I wouldn't say there was many. You think he goes back and eats all of them? Oh, yeah. Scott McCloud famously said that between panels of Deadpool, he finishes the chimichangas, and we as readers mm. need to interpret that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Understanding Changas, he's he wrote. <laughs> uh-huh. Star Trek number 13 from IDW, written by Colin Kelly and Jackson Lansing, art by Marcus Toe. We already talked about Star Trek Defiant coming right out of the end of the Day of the Blood saga. Here we're seeing how the Star Trek, the main crew under Benjamin Sisko, is dealing with that. We loved Star Trek Defiant. We thought that was great, I think, across the board. How do you feel about Star Trek, the main title at this point? 
bringing in some new energy. This book continues to be fun surprises, resetting for a full new story here while following up on some of the stuff before. I, 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 I'm so surprised by this. I've been recommending this book to anybody mm-hmm. I know that's a Star Trek fan that is um, maybe not reading comics. Yeah, I mean, this continues to be another great Star Trek uh, issue. They do such a good job with this, and uh, they continue to kill it. I'm all right with this. I think I like Star Trek Defiant better at this point than the Star Trek book. Why? I want a different take on this. If you're going to do it in comics, I want it to be something different than just like, here's the Star Trek show in comic book form. And that's what this feels like. Star Trek Defiant to me. But why are you saying like that this, like it's a bad thing? That's what people want. They like the Star Trek show. I'll, I'll point out the Scorpius run thing that Star Trek Strange New Worlds is doing. That to me is very fun. It's very different. I could see that as a Strange oh. New Worlds episode, but I'm really enjoying that as a fun lark. Star Trek I like Defiant. I like this so much more than that. Agreed. I like this so much more than that. Interesting. Star Trek Defiant to me is giving like a very clear different mission here. And with the Star Trek book, they're like, well, you have this weird ship. Why don't you go off on Star Trek missions? And that's then, great. That's what I want them to be doing. I don't want that. I want them to be doing something new and fresh and different. Hey, um, Alex, there's not a lot of Star Trek content coming out featuring these characters anymore. So, uh, yeah, right. I'm going to enjoy this comic. Well, don't, because it's bad and I hate it. I don't. Oh I still God. would like it. I just want something different than you guys do. What's the furthest place from here? That's a great question. What's the furthest place from here? Number 15 from Image Comics, written by Matthew Rosenberg. Bergie! Art by Tyler Boss. Once again, in this Bossy. issue, some, <laughs> Bossy. T-Boss. Wild stuff is happening as a bunch of our characters are starting to come back together, building off the cliffhanger of maybe the last issue, maybe two issues ago when our pregnant character ended up at the shores of the city. We're getting a little bit more of that here and some other things going on. Yes, Pete. I was just going to say, I wanted to predict that you hated this issue. Really? Why? Because Because it it was more of a typical Star Trek book. No, because... (laughs) Yeah, you hate traveling in comics when they spend too much time on travel. You hate that. That was like I one do. of your main things that you hate about Walking Dead when they're just kind of going from place to place. And uh, this spends a lot of time mm. traveling. No, so this book I was is reading different. It, because, I was like, Zelvin hates this. This book is different because it makes big character moves at the same time. Kirkman, who, you know, great writer. Has a tendency to do these books. You don't have that to say like, it like that. You could say he's a great writer. Kirkman, bad person. Oh my God. Mm, don't. Better. Like, just no. no, no, no. Morally, morally, he's a bad person. What are you talking you, about? We know what he's done. I don't need to lay it out here. Wow. Well, make great content that then turns into TV shows and movies? Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and that's and a great Giving us more things movies. to talk about the and do podcasts footprint? about? That Robert Kirkman has created. Sorry, Alex is in a bad mood because he had to travel today. So <laughs> yes. he's real. I had to ordinary. go from one place to another, and I had no character development whatsoever. <laughs> this book has that's character true. development in that's the traveling. True. That's the thing that I think works for me. Oh, that's it. the thing. Yes, I mean I, I've loved this book from the jump, and the fact that it, when it was like you couldn't really tell what the overarching story is, and as the threads are all being pulled together, I'm even more excited for it. 
Plus, you you know, you you guys are huge fans of fucking to stay warm, so this also is a great issue for that. What other reason is there to do? To oh, do you know me. Yeah, I went to that con. Yeah, fucking to stay warm con. <laughs> yeah. Beneath the F- trees where nobody F- sees. FTSW con. Wasn't very well attended. <laughs> well, it was summer. Wait yeah, till it was summer in Arizona, and I was like, uh, "We got to talk to the board here." Yeah, you got to choose the city because I only go to the one in uh, Yellowknife, Alaska, <laughs> Yellowknife, Canada. <laughs> that one's way better. <laughs> oh boy, I don't know why I'm paying my dues for that organization. Beneath the trees, <laughs> where nobody sees. Number two from IDW by Patrick Corvat. This is out December sixth. Don't spoil it. We talked about the first issue here. This is essentially Richard Scary's busy town, but what if there were multiple serial killers living there? The first issue, no, the first issue, which is already out, I can spoil that issue. The first issue introduced this character who is a bear, who is essentially a Dexter-style serial killer. She keeps it secret, keeps it safe, goes to the city, takes a random person, graphically chops them up into horrible pieces and gets her urges out that way. And by the end of the issue, we got a second serial killer in town. And she thought, oh boy, bad news. If there is another serial killer here who's being messy, bad news bear, that is going to draw attention to me. So in this second issue, she tries to figure out the mystery before the cops do so she can shut it down so she can go back to just killing people like she always does. This book is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, I am spoiled over. It's so good. This is my favorite read. It's crazy to me that this doesn't come out for another like two Two full months. Because this is so, so good. I want this every day. It's interesting. The art is beautiful. It's scary. It's uh, it's just one of the best comics I've read in so long. I'm a little long. worried Definitely. because you talking about how much you love this while you're broadcasting from the creepiest basement mm-hmm. any serial killer has ever seen in their life uh, makes me very worried. Uh, but yeah. I agree the the darkness and the twisted story by but then having it be these cute animals uh, is just such a fun twist. That adds such a crazy layer beneath all of this. This this book is awesome in fucked up ways. I'll have serial killers stop by, and they're too scared to commit. I they bet. kill outside. I bet this is phenomenal. I mean, some since- people got to take their shoes off before you come inside. Uh, serial killers got to uh, kill outside. I love so much of the characterization and tension in this issue in particular. Without spoiling anything particular that goes on, there's a new character that comes in. Stop really- spoiling amps up the tensions considerably um, and it leads into horror movie tropes but filtering it through these adorable and sometimes super gross animal characters changes yeah. it and twists it and uh, I'm blanking on the exact word but like puts it through this dark spin of a mirror in a very specific way like you're talking about the art is gorgeous the it's extremely graphic with the violence like it doesn't shy away from it and i think that's part of what makes it work this is like a top tier book from front to bottom 
Would love to have um, Patrick on the podcast to talk about if he just got the idea of Richard Scary, but scary. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> that's a good, yeah, that's just paying probably. attention. That's you good know what listening. it reminds me of? It, it's very different, but same sort of thing as like Tony Fleek's Stray Dogs, where it was like, hey, what yeah. if Don Bluth movies, but there was a murderer here? This is one of Richard Scary, but a murderer, but they're very different. The tone is different. The focus is different. But it has the same level of extreme horror intention throughout. So if you're yeah. a fan of that book, pick this up as well. Predator versus Wolverine, number two from Marvel, written by Benjamin yeah. Percy. Art by Ken Lashley, Andrea DeVito, and Hayden Sherman. This is taking place in multiple timelines as the Predator and Wolverine fight per the title. Pete, take it away. I mean, come on. This is just what you want, man. You're like, well, yeah, but what if Predator and Wolverine Fought throughout time. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, this is just uh, just a badass issue. Love all the fighting, all the flashbacks to, like, the kind of Predator movie kind of jungle theme that we got to see Wolverine in. It looked very 80s, which is a lot of fun. Uh, and it turns out he's not doing very well in present day, but back in the day he kind of whoops some, whoops some ass, but currently he's getting his ass whooped. So I'm really hoping he's able to turn this around, but this is a good, good violent time here. There's a ton of action, ton of, uh, uh, just violence. So, uh, cheers. Well done. Great to have all these claw dogs just hanging out together. Claw dogging Claude Dog in it, Predators, all guys. You know, it, honestly, like, we have Earth Wolverine and Space Wolverines coming together. Like, it's great. And I mean that. That's the first time I've ever thought of that. But these guys, the story is really nice. More seriously, the story is really nice to use the multiple timelines and really using Wolverine's history and memory erasures to the advantage of the Predators. Mm-hmm. Uh, because weirdly, I feel like, Wolverine is more likely to win against a predator, I think. Like, against a lot of predator stories are like, how are these humans ever going to survive? And right, in this, right. it's sort of like, hey, Wolverine's going to figure this out. I so, mean, because in, to- the, in the first one, you're like, okay, Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay, maybe, but Danny Glover? I don't know. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Snicks, Just to add my, on to my the Wolverine. Yeah. He's the right height for Wolverine, right? The other thing, though, on the flip side is I think Benjamin Percy is doing a good job of making this classic Wolverine. And what I mean by that is in the modern era, Wolverine is like, well, all your skin and bones and muscles got blasted off and you're just like a skeleton walking around. You'll heal from that, right? And that's kind of the level that he's out at this point versus back in the day, Wolverine actually got hurt and had to recover from stuff. Like he had a healing factor, yeah. but there's a scene in here where Wolverine is just hanging on a cliff and hiding from yeah, the predator he because he's like, oh my God, I got to knit my bones back together. And that's where I want to see Wolverine. Like, that's where I want to see where he's like, I am in so much pain right now, but I got to fight through and do this thing. And I love that the Predator is providing him that challenge. It's good. Yeah. Wolverine starts the comic by doing the Tom Cruise Mission Impossible thing on the rock where he's just kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. hanging out there waiting to heal. Uh, Danny Glover's uh, famous line, I'm getting too old for this, Snicked. Is that what you're thinking? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Radiant Black, number 26A and 26B. Let's talk about both of them from Image Comics, written by Kyle Higgins and Joe Clark. 26A is written by Eduardo, is art by Eduardo Ferragato. And 26B is art by Marcelo Costa. This is a fascinating project. 
Yes. Two issues back, they had a vote in Radiant Black. The idea was one character, there's two guys who are currently sharing the mantle of Radiant Black, Nathan, and I'm completely blanking on the name of the other character, even though I've read every issue. But the two of them... One of them would be Radiant Black, the other would not be. And they did a classic turn to the audience like, you decide, decide, vote with a QR code thing. The next issue, they released two versions to press, and I I guess on stands as well, where each of them chose it. And they're actually going to be continuing with that for at least the next six issues, where they're going to be releasing one issue where one of the guys is Radiant Black and one issue where the other guy is Radiant Black. Follow that along through this thing called the Catalyst War, which is the thing the whole title is building up to, where they're fighting these robots who are invading Earth. I was very iffy about this, particularly because of the last issue, because that one, I thought it was interesting, but it felt like, okay, you basically flipped a couple of pages to make it a little different. This, I thought, was kind of incredible, and I didn't know how incredible it was until, Until I read, read the, the second one. one. Yeah. 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 Because you're seeing not just two artists interpret essentially the same camera same angles on things, yeah. but things go very differently with these two different characters and not in the ways you'd expect, but in ways that logically make sense. I was very impressed by this. Yeah, I love this on many levels. I love the whole idea of you send two people to the same event. They're going to walk away with two different kind of stories of what happened. This was such a cool way to kind of explore that with an A and B story. Um, yeah, I, I just at first I was very skeptical. But by the time I read the second story, I read A first and then I read B. Mm-hmm. I was just Smart. so happy with Go fuck yourself. I was just so happy with how smart they were with the choices. They just kind of really did a great job of letting you kind of see something again from a different perspective. And it just made everything so fresh and cool. I I love this. I love this uh, so much. I also felt like B was the better story. Uh, But man, really? Just this was so cool. This was just such a cool thing to do. And at first I thought like, ah, you're just trying to get more money out of me. But I would gladly hand it over because this was just such an awesome thing. It's funny, like being better where it ends with like the family just being roasted in their car. Uh, You're like, that's the future I want. Because I I did that was such a surprise and uh, left it with like a real like poignant takeaway, which I thought is the point of a project like this being like there are consequences for different, excuse me, choices that are made. And we get to see those really on display here. And, you know, I've never read anything like this. I don't think I can't remember anything that felt so directly like, look, here are the consequences of a hero's choices if two different paths were taken. Well, I'll throw out there, it's Nathan and Marshall, right? I think are the characters that I've actually remembered correctly. So um, Nathan is the one that you expect to be better at being Radiant Black. He's smarter. He's more considerate. He was the first Radiant Black. Um, And Marshall is the one who is the narrow-do-well and doesn't really care about stuff and doesn't really understand exactly how to use the Radiant Black. So, spoiler here, but they flip it in a certain way, where Marshall, during the 26A issue, the entire time is like, ah, what do I do? Nathan, help me out, please. And 
ultimately is more successful and saves a lot of people with the help of Radiant Pink at the same time. But in the second issue, you get Nathan, who should be better at this, and ultimately he is better at being Radiant Black, but he's ignoring the big picture, which is these people all on Lakeview Drive in Chicago who end up, like you're saying, get totally roasted and killed at the same time. And ultimately he's told... That's fine. That's the spoils of war. He doesn't know difference since he hasn't seen this other thing. But we're getting to see how, like, like you guys are saying, these different choices have different repercussions and end up in different ways. And it isn't that Marshall good, Nathan bad, or vice versa. It's just because they made these different choices and come at things in a different way. It's really emphasizing what is different about these two characters, and that's fascinating. Yeah, well, I, I think, think the takeaway the takeaway I had was like collaboration good. Like, so even if you think you're better and are quick, doesn't mean you're actually doing a better job. Mm-hmm. And also just means Marshall Mathers. You know what I mean? Totally. Yes. That's totally. definitely Nathan Fillion, while we're saying names. Yes. Just saying names. Mm-hmm. That's what we do sometimes, especially after a while. We just say <laughs> names. <laughs> For the next 20 titles, we'll just say names. Just Power say Girl. names. Number two from DC Comics, written by Leah Williams, art by Eduardo Pensica. Power Girl has a new status quo where I thought she was a tech guru, but it turns out she works at the Daily Planet for Lois Lane, actually. And uh, that's what we're doing in this issue. Yeah, that's that was a different thing happening. And it's funny, like I, I really liked a lot of the Power Girl continuity that we were left with coming out of Lazarus Planet and all that. And this feels like it's like taking on a sort of whole new flavor. So I I don't know. I, I sort of want to go back to that stuff a little mm-hmm. bit. Pete, you had a question. Yeah, well, I was just jumping in on your flavor style. I just think that this is I love the art on this. It uh, is Eduardo cool. And the cat. Just, I was going to get there. I wrote down the lion was just so cool. I love the lion design on this. Uh, really so badass. Um, I'm talking about the cat, Pete. Yeah, the yeah, lion. the cat, the cat. Yeah, uh, also very, very, I mean, who doesn't? Why, why are you mad? Why are you mad, bro? Anyways, uh, I, yeah, I just think that, like, I love the direction of where they're taking Power Girl. Less focus on the boob window, more focus on the character and uh, and the art style. So I think this is very smart and very cool, and I, and I'm into it. This issue, I'm going to take the opposite tack, Pete. This issue, they just turned her into Cara Danvers. That's it. Like, she is Supergirl, and I don't see the difference. I don't see Power Girl in this issue at all. Not how dare I, how dare I not speak Ah. my truth, you know? I don't know what you're doing anymore, but I just think this is fine. This is fine as a Supergirl comic. This is not okay as a Power Girl comic. I think that's what I would say. I, well, I think that's I, fair. I agree. The character is different. I, uh, slow your roll. I just think that Never. the the idea of this is great. Is let's, let's see a different side to Power let's Girl. See a let's different explore. <laughs> no, yeah. you fucking dumbass. Let's explore more about this character and not compare it to other ones. But let's see where else we can take this character. Uh, and you know, maybe currently she might seem a little bit like somebody else, but I don't think that's where they're going to stay with it. It's going to go different places. So, you know, slow your goddamn roll. Okay. No, 
<laughs> I, I'm Caddy Spider-Man number two for Marvel, written by Cyspur. Art by Lee Garbett. Nightcrawler is wearing a Spider-Man costume and going on adventures in New York City. In this issue, he is tangling uh, physically and emotionally with Silver Sable as they go up against Rhino. Justin, you're horny for this book. Take it away. I love Silver Sable, and to see this little like relationship bit happen here, I was like fully, fully on board with that. Seisberger uh, writes a lot of heady comics, I feel like, and this one just feels like a ton of fun. It feels mm-hmm. like it's just very Spider-Man. It's honestly more Spider-Man than the Amazing Spider-Man book we talked about earlier. So if you're looking for that Spider-Man hit, get this book. Yeah, I just think the the smoocheroo that happens here is really very smoocheroo. Uh, uh, it's very touching and nice. So I was you like you Pete likey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Pete's also horny for this book. Oh I Pete's, Pete said into his phone, "I crave a uh, kiss between Silver Sable." That's his crave. Crave number one. You've got an 80% match with Uncanny Spider-Man number two, Pete. The The only thing that I crave is the Crave case. Come on. Come on. I love this book. I think you're 100% right, Justin. You can feel Cy Spurrier almost like Cy Spuriering out a little bit with the yeah. little Babf guy who's like, come on, Nightcrawler, what are you doing? And talking to him. And then other little things like there's the mystique thing that we don't really deal with this issue necessarily, but the main thrust of the story is so grounded for a Cy Spurrier story. It's wild. And like you said, this is a blast as a Spider-Man story. I love how much everybody flirts with Kurt and how much he mm. flirts with them. There's the scene with Dagger where Dagger shows up and she's like, stop it. Stop. You flirt. Kurt, the flirt. Kurt, the and flirt. It's great. Like Nightcrawler is such a great character because there's so many different things going on with him that should be incongruous. Yet they completely work for his character. Um, I'm loving this book. Let's move on to a last issue. Star Trek Halloween. Number four from IDW, written by Christopher Sequera, art by Jill Eisma. A creature called Red Jack has been going crazy on the holodeck and creating monster and Halloween-type situations everywhere. The crew of the next-gen enterprises fought back by turning themselves into monsters themselves. We get a bunch of big twists here before they resolve the situation by the end of the issue. Um, We've been loving this series so far. How do you feel how it wrapped up? And this is quite literally a Star Trek The Next Generation episode just done. It's a little goofier than an ep- an episode they maybe would have, maybe a later season, later series episode. But if you're looking for that, and I, it's very funny to me, Alex, you were like, oh, this Star Trek 13 is too similar to the TV show because this is like straight up that and you love this. So mm-hmm. in your face. <laughs> Yeah, I think this continues to be a fun mashup and, uh, you know, uh, you know, I I love how it ends. The fun with the kids at the end is great. It's cute. It's it's enjoyable. This is a great series. If you're looking for a good, fun Halloween Star Trek stories, there are literally no other ones. So pick this yeah, up. it makes you feel <laughs> like <laughs> Halloween, like you want to put on a flannel. It's great. And stay I had warm. such a blast mm-hmm. reading this series. Yeah. I had such a fun time. The Schlub, number three from Image Comics, written by Ryan Stegman and Kenny Porter, art by Tyrell Cannon. 
we've seen a switch between a regular dentist and the greatest superhero in the world. We'll continue to regular that here. Regular dentist, not a superpowered dentist. What do you guys think about this issue? This, uh, yeah, Jordan D. White kind of team up with the superhero Stop. idea is still kind <laughs> of plugging not, away. Not say that. Uh, it's fun family drama. Uh, I mean, I don't quite know all of what's happening in this comic all the time. There's a lot of like weird side stuff mm-hmm. going on, and, and I don't quite know what the point is. So uh, I guess a little more clarity on that would be helpful. But shouts to all the regular dentists out there. <laughs> This isn't quite working for me, I would say. Just the comedic premise doesn't seem to be hit hard enough, necessarily. Do like the art by Terrell Cannon. I think the characters are very fun. Tales of the Titans, number four, starring Beast Boy from DC Comics, written by Andrew Constant. Art by Brant and Stein. This is a big issue if you're a fan of Beast Boy. As people may or may not know, he was shot straight in the face by Deathstroke. Yeah. <laughs> Wrong Back side, in Pete. the Dark Crisis on Infinite Earth storyline, he has recovered Shoot from that, but face. not quite. He's still dealing with the trauma. And in this issue, he comes face to face with a dark mirror of himself. Um, Raven also shows up here. This is the currently in a relationship. This series has been so good. These one shots focusing on the Titans. This one felt like the closest tied to continuity, and I think it worked really well. How do you guys feel? Yeah, I mean, first off, shout out to Branton Steen on the art. Uh, It's got such a kind of cool feel. It really was like, oh, we're just going to kind of take a Beast Boy time out here and just kind of enjoy some inner demon battling here. And I'll just mention real quick, Branton Steen are the artist, not the monster. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Brandon Steen. <laughs> Give a little pat on the back there, dad joke. Nice work. I'll I'll be recusing myself for the rest of the podcast. But I do <laughs> like Beast Boy and Raven together. I think that that's adorbs. And so I kind of like where this comic ends. Uh, this was fun. The art is nice. A lot of angst. This feels like we're taking... Uh, Beast Boy and giving him the speedball to penance treatment. Yeah. From the uh, dude, Marvel you get comics. shot in the face. Say, you're going to be different, bro. All right. No, but I think, uh, not to spoil too much about the issue, but I think it's the opposite. I think he has been penance and they're trying to figure out his way back to speedball. Yeah. Wow. Well, this makes sense Justin, to regular how do you people? think about right. that slap in the face after what you just said? Well, I mean, that is what I, I'm saying the same thing. Like, I feel like. In it's you're taking the sort of comedy relief character being like, yeah, well, he's a sad clown, too, and dealing with a lot of the issues that he's been having. And that is um, it, it's a well-told story. It's just I want it to be more fun, I guess. All right. Well, let's see if this was more fun. Something is Killing the Children, number 34 from Boom Studios, written by James Town of the Fourth, art by Werther Daldaria. Erica, our main character, is full-fledged in a Western at this point. Yeah. She is going up against her evil opposite as well as a monster who also looks like her in a well, terrifying a way. Yeah. Justin, I know you're not as big a fan of this series. You feel like it's just sort of like check it in every issue and then check it out. 
Well, and I will say I do like it and I'm excited to read every issue. And this issue felt the same way where I was like, they're just like hanging around on horses. And then like we get some much larger revelations happening here. And one that I was like, oh, that seems that seems like a bad idea. And I was like, it is a bad idea by the end of it. I won't spoil what happens, but it uh, it's coming to a head. And that's what I want this uh, this book to be doing all the time. Yeah, I mean, hanging around horses is just a ticking time bomb. You know, eventually it's going to go bad. So, yeah. You blame the horses? You blame the horses here. No, no. I'm just saying that, like, you know, you can. uh, Anyways, my point being. You're saying save a horse, save a horse, ride a cowboy. (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Thank you. The other day I accidentally I was writing about news anchors and I accidentally wrote news anchors as news ank horse. And that started to make me think of like a horse who's wearing a suit, who's delivering the news, which seemed pretty fun. What do you guys think about that? Yeah. News horses. Let's bring those back. What? (laughs) I would love to. That's how in the Wild West, that's how news was spread. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. Pony Uh, Express was a pony coming to your house and being like, hello. Hey, uh, did you hear the one about the, uh, yeah, I just think that like bad news, your husband died. That's the horse. (laughs) That's, that's horse news coming up next. Chicken news. Uh, Chicken sports. (laughs) We got horse news and chicken sports. Now over to the pigs for weather. Oh my God. (laughs) Anyways, this comic is amazing and continues to be amazing. Uh, I love it so much. I'm a little stressed out uh, because it looks like the good guys are losing right now. So I'm very stressed, but hopefully we can turn that around because it's not looking good for our team. I mean, she needs to shoot some arrows and is going through some shit. But um, yeah, I love every (laughs) single issue of this. The art is unbelievable. The story is unbelievable. Every issue is unbelievable. I love it. Philadelphia, number 31. This is coming out November 15th from Image Comics. Don't spoil it. Written by Rodney Barnes, art by Jason, Sean, Alexander, and Jermaine Era Musp. And Sisman Kondransky, there's a backup story as well here. But the front story, we already knew this, but Spawn has come to Philadelphia as he does in real life, right, B? Yeah, you go, yeah. everybody yeah. goes for the cheesesteaks. Uh-huh, he goes for the cheese. What does he like better? Does he like Tony Luke's or Wit Witwiz? Is he a yeah, Witwiz He's guy? a Witwiz guy. <laughs> oh, cool. Spawn is Witwiz. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so this is Spawn going wild in Philadelphia and mixing it up with the Philadelphia characters. This was something that was teased. We talked to Rodney Barnes about this when he was on the show. Pete, I think generally you like Philadelphia and you love Spawn. How did you feel about this issue? This is just a happy baby crossed of, uh, of two great ideas. Yeah, I, I love all the Spawn stuff. The art is very cool. This is just uh, a fun uh, uh, creation. Happy baby, we say. <laughs> happy, happy baby. Happy baby. Happy baby, says. Happy Comic book baby. Club. <laughs> Um, I I was sort of like the Spawn stuff. Like I don't know. I, I feel like we see we see a lot of Spawn in Spawn. So oh, here, really? like I I like because we like talk Kil- about Spawn so much. I like the Philadelphia characters and uh, to have them be hanging on with Spawn, who didn't. It, it felt I didn't feel like it was super important. I'd rather see the Philadelphia characters going about their business. I, I kind of agree with that. I Ooh. think it twisted it into a Spawn Horrible book, opinion. which mind you. 
fun vampires mixing it up with Spawn. Come on. Fun. That, that's and fun. And I did, I did but like. it feels they, like a Spawn issue. And like you're saying, we have a lot of Spawn books. There's more Spawn books coming. We don't need a non-Spawn book to also be a Spawn book. Yes, we do. Yes. Oh. This is I, I, I did spawn stop book until we've talked about on the stack for fucking a long time. So uh, it, it's great. We should do an all spawn episode of the stack. Uh, we I could. would love it. We could. Yeah. And then accidentally delete it before he posted. Uh, the only thing I was going to say is I did like when spawn got vamped up. It's yeah. no spoilers, asshole. This doesn't come out for a while. Fair. Well, whatever. That didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> the Flash, number two from DC Comics, written by Cy Spurrier, art by Man, a lot of Cy Mike Spurrier Dian- stuff. Yeah, Mike Diodato Jr. Uh, this is just another happy baby of a comic book. I got to say, this one. Happy baby. Happy baby. Oh, are we talking about too many comics or things just running together for everybody? <laughs> we got two more hours to go, you dick. <laughs> Don't say so. I love comics. I do. I love talking about comics. I really love this book. I This horror-inflected take on The Flash is really working for me. It's off-kilter in a way that I don't expect, like contrasting it with Uncanny Spider-Man, which we just talked about from Cy Spurrier. This is... Again, I think him doing a good job of taking some really bonkers ideas about creatures called the stillness and whatever is going on with the speed force and whatever is going on with Gorilla Grodd creating some sort of summoning portal in the middle of Central City. Um, I, what's working about it very similarly to Uncanny Spider-Man for me is he's writing Wally West is not like genius scientist who knows everything about speed. Wally West is as behind the ball as we are as readers. And I think that's the right place to be because that gives us a window into the wild ideas he's throwing out in this book. It feels like it's a creative use of the speed force that Mm -hmm. I haven't seen. I feel like so much has been like so much of Flash has been like the speed force. This thing's crazy, but it's how we do it. And then we move on. And it feels like this is getting into sort of the interdimensionality of it. And it reminds me a little bit of some Star Trek Next Generation episodes about finding creatures in strange places. And that's big time happening here. Uh, I don't quite know what's happening and where it's going, but it's a more exciting place for a flashbook to be uh, that I've seen in a while. Well, and unfortunately, a, Pete, we got to move on to the next book. We don't have time nah, to hear what you have to go say fuck about yourself. It. Yeah, no, you guys got some positive twists on things, but this is just another like, oh man, what would be really hard for the Flash to deal with? Oh, the stillness. Oh, how can he be still? He's the Flash. He can't. No, he he you can't fight it. the stillness. Yeah, he likes it. Oh, oh man, the stillness. I, what I want to talk about is artistically, this is a phenomenal comic. I love the art style, the character design. There's some really amazing panels in here that are just f- absolutely fantastic. Uh, I really liked like the repeating pattern stuff and the things that they used here. Just uh, really, really cool. So you love the drawings of the stillness, but you hate the stillness. I uh, I can't get behind it. Um, you know, the plot wise, I think it's dumb, but artistically, I think it's impressive. 
Once Upon a Time at the End of the World, number 10 from Boob Studios, written by Jason Aaron, art by Leila Del Duca and Nick Dragoda. This issue is an issue that I cannot believe is not the last issue of the series. It's not? It's not. It says to be continued huh. or something Big like that. Big clue. Big clue to be continued. Yeah, there you go. Feels like the end. We are wrapping up the Golgonusa art arc, I want to say, where yeah. our two main characters have grown out of love with each other and started to see each other as literal monsters instead of metaphorical monsters. Like we talked about with the last issue, I finally understand what the series is about, and it makes it that much more layered and textured in terms of very specifically using the end of the world as a metaphor for the arc of a relationship. Ugh. The arc is beautiful. The writing is very pointed. Um, and I love those Nick Dragota flash forward sequences. They're so cool. The, this book, like the the relationship metaphor at the core of this book is so good. And it's yes. it gets into so much nuance and detail that it, without ever being like, see, look what we did here. Yeah. It's very much just like telling the story and Great. letting all of that metaphorical work happen in our brains. It's so good. It's so smart. I agree. It felt like we were building toward a final moment here. And I guess it's the end of the, the Golganuza arc. But there's more to say. There's more that happens in relationships. There's more that happens between these characters, it feels like. Maybe none, not a lot of it is good, but it – we will see what happens, and I'm very excited to see that. Well, I'm I'm hopeful that we're not going to get a, uh, a sad, kind of depressing a- ending because we we kind of rolled with this couple for a very long time. We've been through a lot with them, and the fact that they got to kind of find each other in this crazy post-apocalyptic world, but then the kind of realism of when something doesn't work out in a relationship and you feel like you're on either sides of this giant cavern that is now formed between you, uh, just uh, such a perfectly executed uh uh, kind of moment in this comic, uh, but I'm sad that uh, they, you know, don't recognize each other and are strangers in each other's lives and kind of hate each other now. And it's just it's awful to see. So I'm hoping with maybe a, uh, one more issue or how many issues are left, they can kind of turn this around. But it does not look good for them. Newburn, number 12 from Image Comics, written by Chip Zdarsky, art by Jacob Phillips. Newburn is being attacked on all sides. What? A jerk. Yeah, a jerk. Yeah, he's being, he's a, being jerk. a jerk. Yeah. What do you think? He's being a jerk. Uh, he is a jerk, I guess, and that's maybe part of the point. The This issue sort of splitting up the partnership between uh, Newburn and his... I don't want to say sidekick, but um, a fellow detective, I guess, and get to see her out on her own, which I thought was great. Like the tension ratcheting up. I like uh, Newburn's thematically as being like, hey, the wolves are at the door. We got to sharpen up our sticks. That's great. Like it feels like this book is always going hard. It's 12 issues in. It feels like we've been with these characters for a long time. It's a really good read. Yeah, it just continues to be a really impressive comic, artistically and story-wise. Uh, I also really love how different the backup looks and how cool it is. Uh, yeah, Nick Dragota, the Dragota Brothers. It's, mm-hmm. a, it's a great package. The Flying Dragota Brothers. 
Kilmore, number two from IDW, written by Scott Brian Wilson, art by Max Allen Fuchs. This takes place in a world where, well, a city that has been pretty much abandoned by everybody whilst more and more serial killers come to town. We're following a bunch of those serial killers as well as the cops that are trying to track them down and stop them. Like the first issue, this continues to be very messed up while still really digging into characters in a fun and funny way. I'm really enjoying this series. How about you guys? Uh, Same. I, I feel like we were following our cops and they're just sort of like having some banter, trying to figure out, solve one case. Meanwhile, we just keep meeting other serial killers. Mm-hmm. Like every issue is like, yeah, we're, we're full up on killers guys. Mm-hmm. We have met, we've met like nine and there's still only these two cops and they're like, man, you charge your, charge your taser. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah. should. This this shit is stressing me the fuck out. I, I'm really worried. I I love this, but also I'm really worried about these cops, and we're losing uh, cops uh, pretty rapidly in this comic. So it just sucks that uh, 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 there's a lot of kind of chaos swarm uh, swarming around this kind of post-apocalyptic world. And uh, I'm, yeah, I'm worried for what's going to happen because it, it it's all just seems bad and keeps moving in that direction. So uh, we will see. It, it is enjoyable. I don't mean to be bleak about it, but this is uh, a very enjoyable, fucked up book. Maybe in Kilmore, everyone's going to end up having a fun time. Maybe it'll yep. be hugged more by the time it's over. Maybe it'll great turn point. into Kilmore Girls. Mm. All great ideas. <laughs> <laughs> the Penguin number three from just D- died Comics. there in case anybody was wondering. The Penguin number three from DC Comics, written by Tom King, art by Rafael de la Torre. The Penguin is continuing to build up his gang after recruiting the help in the last issue. Now he is going after the Force of July, a American very American U.S. government super team who has been stripped of their powers. One by one, he breaks them down and recruits them. Very similar to the help, though in different ways. Um, what do you guys think? This is a good book, a good Tom King book. It's interesting. I feel like the Penguin is maybe the least important part of it. It feels like it's about just ways that Tom King wants to write villains coming together force mm-hmm. of july i believe was a team from like the 80s an actual continuity uh team and to sort of bring them back for just this purpose of watching the penguin destroy them and bring them to bear i thought was was fun good read good art yeah i mean this is kind of fucked up here i mean penguins building his team back up and it's dark and and really fucked up how he does business but the art is super impressive bananas Uh, i really like this i don't think it was as strong as the first two issues necessarily but it's fun to your point justin it feels like tom king probably likes force of july from back in the day and wants to bring it back yeah so there you go. I Hate Fairyland, number 10 from Image Comics, written by Scotty Young, art by yeah. Brad Bean. We've got Gert has got to recruit. Gert. We got Gert. Gert has to recruit her worst enemy, Claudia, in order to escape Fairyland. So it's the team up of the century leading to yet another twist in this book. Pete, 
I know you've been a big fan of I Hate Fairyland. What did you think about this one? God, I love this story. This is so much fun. I love the kind of setup that we get here on each of these issues where every time we think we're moving forward, but uh, there's a twist at the end and we have the new thing to deal with. I love all the humor. I love all the kind of grossness. This is just such a really fun uh, idea that is so well executed artistically. I love all the montages we get in there and the fun montage bits. Uh, I just feel like they're having just such a great time with this, and it's very obvious. Yeah, it continues on to be doing this thing. Where Gert <laughs> you says, don't like this book. I, as I'm not a huge fan of it. Yeah. Gert says fucked up stuff, and then uh, something That's else great. happens. great. Yeah, I like the moves fine. that they're making in this book. I do like this book. I was a little bummed out when we got rid of old Gert to bring it back to young Gert. But now yeah. with the cliffhanger at the end of this issue, I feel like we're messing things up and messing up the idea of the book again in a, an interesting way. So I'm very excited to read the next issue. Rare Flavors, yeah. number two from Boob Studios, written by Ram V, art by Felipe Andrade. This is following a demon and the documentary filmmaker who is following him around to create a documentary about all the foods he eats, Anthony Bourdain style. And we find out a lot more about that in a really messed up way. This episode, we get a recipe that nobody should ever make in their entire lives, probably. So there you go. No, the recipe is fine. The recipe yeah. is fine. There's just like the main ingredient. Maybe you don't want to use that. Well, the game meat, what? venison, get venison, wild boar, but easily replaced with mutton. Yeah. Or what it's replaced with in the book. No, I'm um, just saying the recipe is fine. Yeah, yeah. the recipe is fine. Have you anyone uh, can real eat quick, people? Like, this is a safe space to talk about this. Have you guys ever eaten any human? Like, have you ever eaten any human meat? You're talking about long right? pig? Yeah, long pig. Pete, you ever have any long pig? No. Hmm. Here's Justin? the thing like, in, in a pinch, you're like, ah, I didn't end up getting the chicken. And you're mm-hmm. like, ah, oh, what's left on the shelf kind of a situation. Right. That's what you can make a substitution in a recipe. The main thing is, like, there's a reason people have multiple children, right? Oh, my God, dude. Yeah, one's no, uh, really known as a, a, a snack child. There's the <laughs> snack child. It's like the third or fourth. <laughs> At that point, you don't need that one. Yeah, oh, exactly. oh, this is my third kid. We call him Dippin' Sauce. <laughs> <laughs> Dip. Uh, this book is very good I really uh, It's like a, a Much more The pacing is a little bit slower It's much more like pastoral oh, Chill Friendship bracelet you got there buddy Yeah uh, Shouts from Taylor gave it to me personally This oh, wow. is a, chi- a, a bracelet that says Dada for my children Oh that's adorable oh, Which one yeah. the regular child or the snack or child no, the Snack child Snack <laughs> child's always sending gifts Because snack child's hey, like hey keep me yeah. Keep me out of the snack part here. <laughs> uh, but this book is really good. I, the art's really nice. It's such a chill read. I really like the recipe in there. I'm going to make it with whatever Ooh. meat I have available. Yeah, I feel like it. this is worth it alone for the crazy tripped out art. Um, but yeah, I mean, the cooking tips in here, regardless of what you're making, it's just spot on. Yeah, if it's human or not, it honestly doesn't matter to us. Cook what I, and eat whatever you want as long no, as you're happy. True. Is that what that's you're saying, a, Pete? Nope. Don't Pete put said words that. That's a quote from Pete. Black mm. Hammer, The End, number three from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jeff Lemire, art by Malachi Ward. The Black Hammer universe is crashing down in a big way as Anti-God is attacking 
the prime part of the universe. Meanwhile, the folks just hanging on a farm are starting to realize things are not what they seem. We get a, this is a huge spoiler here, but a big moment where Gale finally gets her memory and her powers back, something that has been teased since pretty much the first issue of Black Hammer ever. So some big stuff going down here. It really is starting to feel like the end of the series. I wonder if it is the end. Do you think it's like fully it? Because this is such a rich world. It feels like there was a way to know if it was the end or not. Well, with comics, there's never the end. Mm -hmm. It feels like Jeff Lemire really likes writing this. And I also really like reading it. I, I do feel like this is just a theory at this point, but I do feel like this is so across the board crisis on infinite earths in terms of what is going on with all the other characters who are not at the farm. It feels like there has to be some twist and change and tweak there. I don't know mm-hmm. what it is, but you can't just do that to do that. I will say I love, uh, oh my God, what's his name? Inspector, Inspector. Gotcha. It's, yeah, it's oh, the yeah, scene yeah, with Inspector and Sector yeah. where, yes. but in this issue he's where he's like, comic. boy, it's weird that I wasn't here before. I feel like I would have been a popular character. <laughs> it's very funny. Uh, yeah, so yeah. I really enjoyed that quite a bit. Great book. Unstoppable Doom Patrol number seven from DC Comics, written by Dennis Culver, art by Chris Burnham. This is the final issue of this book as the Doom Patrol goes up against the combined Amortis slash Candle Maker. For all the marvels, um, I'm bummed this series is end. And yes. it was wild and super fun. It was great. It was just awesome. I mean, I I thought it just the art style is so much fun. It jumps off the page. You got the kind of candle wish monster. Uh, you know, I love how much Cliff hates Peacemaker. One great fight after another. Uh, I love it. I, I just, I, it sucks that it's over because it was so cool and reminds me a lot of like the TV show and capturing all the kind of humor and stuff from it in such a cool way. Uh, yeah, it's sad to see it over. It does a great job of bringing the ideas from the TV show to a more comic book version of the team. So I could definitely see more of this, especially we get this like epilogue reveal that I was like, what? <laughs> Can we talk about that really quick? And there is yeah. a big spoiler here, but at the end, Immortus Candlemaker gets sent out of the DC Universe dimension and ultimately ends up on Danny the Planet, aka Danny the Street. But Danny the Planet slash Danny the Street is being tortured by the big reveal on the final page is the Batwoman who laughs. Was a variant yeah. version of the Batman who laughs, who himself is a variant version of Batman and the Joker. Um, yeah, a weird version. Weird, uh, weird, weird reveal. Weird late or swing. Great reveal. Did yeah, you like maybe it, that's. Pete? Well, I didn't see it coming. Yeah. So it, it just I like... love. I love anything I don't see coming. Yeah, like a baseball when it hits me in the back of the head. Oh, oh, the if I'm walking across yum. the street, I'm like, "This yeah, is great. Yeah. Thanks, guys." Yum, yum, yum. <laughs> Vietnam nom nom, I say. <laughs> oh my god. Anyway, I hope they do more of this like they promised in the issue. Alice Never After, number four from Boom Studios, written by Dan Panosian, art by Dan Panosian and Giorgio Spoletta. Alice is pregnant, and everybody's dealing with that, both in the Wonderland reality and in the quote unquote real reality. Um, versus the big revelations of the last issue. 
this felt like getting back to a little bit of a lark to me. And yeah. when I and when I want them to be digging down deeper and breaking my heart, that's where I want them to be at this point. Oh, I think that's coming in the next oh, issue. I know. It's hard for and I think we're going to get into like back in issue one. I was like, I have a feeling she's going to be pregnant based on uh, some a very small clue. I think that was in there and then it ended up happening. I think it's going to be not great news in the future. Uh, it's hard for me to remember exactly what happens because I read this book when I was a happy baby uh, a long time ago. Uh, but the I I mean, this book, it has great hooks. It's definitely one that I think really keeps you reading once you get started. Yeah, I agree. It does have that, like, the more you get into it, the more you start liking it. And as it goes, you're kind of in deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole you go. Ooh, (laughs) yes, Pete. Still swigging. but not least, The Lonesome Hunters, The Wolf Child, number four from Dark Horse Comics by Tyler Crook. Here we are getting a wolf picking up a big sword and fighting a bunch of people, Pete. Yes. Love that. I did love it. This is another great ish. Love the wolf boy saying like, hey, I hope you don't die. That's just so nice. Uh, Tyler Crook is stealing my heart in this book. I I love the art so much. It is just so beautiful. Love the panel designs. Cool reveal at the end. Uh, Yeah, I'm all in. I absolutely fucking love this book. And it's... uh, Crazy that it took us three hours to get to it, but I'm happy that we're here. <laughs> I also love this book. The it, I say this a lot, but if you're a fan of Hellboy, this is such a nice uh, replacement for that book, which is mostly doing giant robot stuff these days. Hey, but uh, no, no, not sometimes you if, take a little giant robot break, man. Yeah. Don't fucking yeah. Me Should too. we mention that, that next that month they're releasing Giant Robot Lonesome Hunters? <laughs> That'll yeah. be fun. Big swing. A lot of times I'll say to my wife, hey, babe, I'm running out for a giant robot break. I'll be back in two weeks. She's like, totally cool. I get it. Wow. Uh, You guys got a great relationship. Great. Strong. Strong. Me and my robot, giant robot, have a great relationship, too. The way I crave... Crave number one, that giant robot. The way this book uh, just is, it's just a great story. I like the, all the characters are really fun. And yes. Looking forward to the next arc, which is set up pretty well here. Great. There you go. Uh, and there you go. That is, I think, the longest episode. Wait, say something of this- nice about this comic. No, it's a piece of shit. <laughs> That's where we're ending. No, I love this comic. The art is absolutely gorgeous. The characterization is beautiful. I love the is. mythology that they're building here. And most of all, I, as you know, I'm a big fan of a nude man with a bird on his shoulder walking through the desert. Yeah! I've yeah. always loved that. This is your sweet That's spot. <laughs> all of your paintings, Alex, yeah. are of that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And all of... Uh, What's weird is how much you focus on the butt shadow. Of mm-hmm. your work, but man, uh, yeah, you know. I'm being followed by a butt shadow. I like your your footprint style poster of the nude man with the crow walking. Thank you very there much. Two sets of footprints. I actually two as, sets I learned balls. how to do that in college when I butt shadowed my art teacher. Smart. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, not to belabor this too much longer. That was, as I said, the longest episode of the stack ever. Thanks for hanging in there, everybody. <laughs> Next week, twice yeah. as long. We're going to do for more cop for more comic reviews, bullshit. sorry, there aren't any more. This is all of them. <laughs> I actually had to cut stuff out that we wouldn't have yeah, talked you, about anyway. Cut, I cut, cut, a couple, swear to God. couple more. 
No, oh I, I want to. We didn't hit all the X Men books. I know. The I had to make some hard decisions, particularly on the Marvel books. Um, we'll do a Fall of X app this week. Okay. Got to pick. Oh yeah, why don't you guys do that? <laughs> sure, no problem. Splinter stack. If you would like to support this show and all the shows we do, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Facebook and YouTube. Coming out, we would love to chat with you about comics, Apple, Spotify, Android, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at comic book live on Twitter slash X, comic book club live on TikTok and Instagram, comic book club live.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, we'll see you at the comic book shop. Remember, your happy babies need a good butt shadow. Would you, if anyone could sleep for me, that would be great. <laughs> I, would, I need that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Once a week,